1: Welcome Auburn into the Tuesday edition of Sports Call live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app or if you end up listening after the fact on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this great show. Today I've got Brooks Childress and Tom Peavy with me as we continue to digest everything from the Deep South's oldest rivalry on Saturday. We'll continue to recap that game, give our thoughts on what Auburn needs to look like Moving forward, we got a couple of great guests here this afternoon. At 3.30, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will join us, as he does each and every week. He'll continue to talk Auburn, Georgia, and what needs to happen going into the bye week. We'll also talk at 4 o'clock with Kevin McAlpin of the Braves Radio Network. We've not chatted with Kevin since just before the season started. We'll recap a phenomenal 2023 regular campaign from the Atlanta Braves and look forward to to the postseason for the Braves. And, of course, you can listen to all the postseason baseball of the Atlanta Braves on the Braves radio network right here on 1230 WAUD in Auburn, one of our sister stations. Again, 1230 WAUD AM throughout the postseason. Talk to Kevin about that. We'll continue to give our thoughts on the weekend that was in college football and much, much more. And, of course, we want to hear from you on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-8-9-TIGER-9. Brooks, I will start with you. Uh, I certainly appreciate you for stepping in the host seat again yesterday. I think you guys did a really good job. Uh, I'm not going to miss next Monday's show, Lord willing. So I should be able to return the seat for a couple consecutive weeks, but certainly appreciate you filling in and hope you are well this afternoon.
2: I am doing phenomenally. It's a it's a beautiful Tuesday. We have playoff baseball and one of the best uh, times of year, um, and so we uh, it, it's really fun around here. Uh, Braves are getting set to uh, take on the NLDS this weekend, so I can't wait to uh, dive into that. Obviously, we talked about it yesterday, but Auburn going into their bye week, so. You know, a little extra time we get to spend on that Georgia uh, Georgia game, and then what you know talk about what Auburn has to do for the second half stretch run here uh, after the they get done with things uh, after they get done with the bye week, um, and so it, it should be a should be a great show. Can't wait to talk to all of our callers, and um, yeah, the uh, you know watched a little Monday Night Football last night. Um, I may need to be in a in the uh, in the fantasy football world. Uh, market for a new backup quarterback because my current backup quarterback is Daniel Jones and um, he had one good week and then they they just can't score at all and so uh, it's it's kind of yeah too and I think you said it uh, uh, earlier today off the air uh, in the office Ryan but both New York teams in the NFL are just man disappointment after, abounds after after such high hopes in the offseason it's just wow Man, the best thing that happened in New York is Taylor Swift coming into their game uh, <laughs> this past weekend. and uh, I heard a team- lot. It wasn't even for for them.
1: I, I forgot to mention this uh, to you. There were a lot of Taylor Swift references yesterday, and I'm going to try try to minimalize that <laughs> today. We we're, I'm clearly doing a bad job because it took about three or four minutes. Yeah. Uh. But <laughs> but uh, there were a lot of those from my comfort level. But otherwise, I thought everything yesterday was great. Listen,
2: I'm just trying to keep up with NBC with all the with all their Taylor Swift references. Yeah, from, fair their, from their uh, game Sunday night. So can't wait to get to the to the rest of the show though it, it's going to be a great show welcome back I'm Thanks, glad sir. that you were in that chair i'm not in there for a second consecutive day <laughs> um but I'm, I'm glad to be on this side of the table today
1: and then tom peavy heard Hello. you uh, yesterday afternoon as well it's good to listen to you guys how are you this afternoon
3: i am good uh a little tired i've been doing a, a, a little bit of brief landscaping work out at our station in lochapoca getting ready for the uh annual syrup sop mm. this upcoming weekend out in So. Um, trying to get the station all tidied up and doing some new landscaping and all out there. So, uh, manual labor, man. Yeah. Yeah. Manual labor, but, uh, yeah, doing good. And, uh, I'll tell you this, I, we talked so much about Auburn yesterday, but, uh, I it, it feels so good to see so many people talking about the atmosphere in Jordan Hare stadium. Uh, Kirby smart, obviously mentioned it. And then, uh, I've seen a couple of other, uh, things, the little videos where people are talking about it, the people that were there, uh, national media folks that were there, and, and they're talking about the, the atmosphere that was in Jordan Harris Stadium Saturday. So, yeah, you didn't come out with a win, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, that atmosphere is turning heads, and, and I think it's turning heads because it's a team that's not good. I, I mean, let's just fake it, face it, they, they're not really very good right now. They weren't expected to be very good, but yet a day game... Packed out to the rafters, loud, just ear-splitting loud. That's just catching a lot of attention that, that the Auburn fans are that dedicated to this team. But that's Auburn. that's just kinda, That's kind of how it is. And then, uh, yeah, keeping track of some baseball up here as the uh, playoffs have started. And, yeah, I'm a Braves fan, but I'm also I, – I like to keep up with the Rays and see what they're doing because a handful of these guys I watched when they played in Montgomery for the Biscuits. So, I always want them to do well. Braves come first, I guess Rays maybe come
1: second. I I like Tampa as well, so uh, I certainly hope that they can advance. And we will talk some postseason baseball throughout the show this week. It is Auburn's bye, so we stick with football primarily, but we still can have the opportunity to branch out a little bit. And, again, that's why we have Kevin McAlpin on at 4 o'clock today to talk some Braves. And so throughout the week we'll talk some postseason baseball and and, and all that good stuff. And then also – Uh, Coming up at some point this week, I want to get into Auburn basketball a little bit too. As we turn the page, we're now about one month away from Auburn basketball. Over the last several days, really the majority of Auburn's basketball schedule was released in terms of uh, timing and networks and that sort of thing. So I want to be able to update people at some point this week about uh, when all of Auburn's games are for the most part. Obviously, their SEC scheme, uh, schedule came out a few weeks ago, too. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to circle back to some of that this week during Auburn's bye week. But let's continue as we start here on a Tuesday edition of the show. Let's continue to talk a little bit more about what happened inside of Jordan Hare Stadium Saturday afternoon between Auburn and Georgia. I think you guys summed up a lot of the key parts of it. Yesterday, so I want to start with one of the positives and one of the negatives that I saw, and I'm going to start positive first. I want to start with the fact that I thought this was a better coached game. I did not think it was a perfect game, and you guys echoed that sentiment yesterday. I thought there was a key one key flaw per side of the football, uh, but I thought that in general it was a better plan. It was a better executed plan. And even with some quarterback shifting, there was, again, this where it comes into one bad uh, rotation that I thought they had at one point. But you could see that they, when they went to the Astrid package, it was effective. Uh, and so that for the most part, when they pulled the trigger on that, that ended up being a good decision. And, and so I liked that it was a better coached game. They ran the football in general pretty well against Georgia. I know that uh, Peyton Thorne ended up leading the team in rushing. But, look, if you run for over 200 yards, no matter how you run them, if you run for over 200 yards on Georgia, that is a solid job. Maybe not A+, but it's certainly a solid job. So I thought that he did a good job in those areas. And the coaching part of it is important because, look, What's clear is we all knew this. Is that George is a more talented team? That's obvious. That was that was not breaking news. And even against Texas A&M, that's obvious. Auburn lacks a couple of difference makers, one on each side of the ball right now. They, they, they need a dude they can throw to in any circumstance. They need a defensive, uh, preferably lineman, but somebody to be able to rush the passer and make a difference on opposing quarterbacks. They lack those things right now. But their coaching staff gave them an opportunity to win the game. Uh, That bodes well, in my opinion, for the future once they get the increased talent in here in the coming year. So I thought that was a very important long-term positive. Again, it was not a perfect game by the coaching staff. They did not do every single thing right. But in general, that was the best coach game of the year and against the best team they've played this year, maybe the best team they'll play all year. And so I thought that was a very important box to check. Uh, The negative side of things is that it's a short term. The negative side of things is like, damn, you did have a chance to win that football game. Uh, you had your opportunities to be able to upset the number one team in the country, to give them the first loss in a couple of years, and and to really turn some heads. and And it's tough in a rivalry game when you get that close. It's it's a tough pill to swallow, even even though you were uh favored to lose by 14 to 15 points and and you look so bad against AM and you checked all these boxes in terms of improvement. It's still at the end of the day a tough pill to swallow when you have the opportunity. When you take a 10 0 lead at the end of the first quarter, when you're able to again reestablish a 17 10 lead after the turnover early in the third quarter. And you guys mentioned it yesterday but the the negative here, the negative within the obvious there, is just the third down stuff. Uh, the the third down on both sides of the ball was just not good enough. Auburn was two of twelve on offense. Georgia uh, and and Georgia's offense was eight of thirteen converting third downs. That's the key number here. It's not even the yards that that Georgia outgained Auburn. It's not even the lack of passing yards from Auburn. It is two of twelve on third down for Auburn. Eight of thirteen for Georgia and. In particular, for for me, it's the eight of thirteen for Georgia because a lot of those were third and seven plus, mm-hmm. and, and that's and that's not being tired by the way either. Time possession was dead even. Time possession was dead even. It was pretty much dead even in both halves. It was not even slanted towards one half. You can make the case that Auburn got tired at the end, but if they did, I don't really think there's a great excuse for it because, again, the time possession was even. Auburn did ball control someone offense. It wasn't perfect, but they got it into an even circumstance, and even Auburn's rush defense was pretty good throughout the game. Georgia did not just start gaping holes open, which would usually be an indicator of... Of a tired defense, so I really don't think it was much about being tired. They just couldn't get the key third and eight, nine, ten stop in that second half, and so that's the negative there. Now, was it schematically? I heard you guys go through this debate. I want to hear you go through it again here in just a second. Was it schematics? Was it just Brock Bowers being the best non-quarterback in the country? You know that that's the question that you look at. Again, I mentioned one problematic coaching decision offensively, and one defensively. I'll get to the offense much later today. But the defensive decision is how you guarded Brock Bowers slash what you ended up doing to try to disrupt Carson Beck. Because it was clear that Auburn, if they did not blitz, they could not get to Carson Beck. And that's going to be something to monitor throughout the entire year. They are just not generating pass rush with four guys. Uh but when they blitzed Carson Beck, and they did that more earlier in the game, they didn't do much of it late, when they blitzed him earlier Beck was usually finding somebody open. It did cause a mistake, but he still, for the most part, was identifying where the blitz came from, and he threw it where the blitz came from. You, you go on a hot route, you throw something quick or short, and let your guy make a play, or the same out route to the sideline worked three or four different times. McConkie ca- caught a couple of those. That told me that he had his wit about himself that he although he made a mistake or two because again he did have the interception they were few and far between and he did not look like a rattled quarterback despite the great uh, crowd noise which i think still impacted the game greatly they didn't overwhelm him and so he proved earlier that just because you blitz and get a little pressure does not mean you're going to force him in a bad decision now hindsight's always 2020 what auburn ended up doing did not work in the late third quarter and into the fourth quarter so in hindsight would you love the blitz and see how it had gone the 5th and 6th and 7th time sure But he did check those boxes earlier in the game against the Blitz, which was something that stood out to me. So you would have loved to figure out a better way to cover Brock Bowers and a better way to get off the field on third and seven-plus there in the second half. But overall, obviously, I thought more positives than negatives when you play the number one team to one possession game. But defensively, Tom, what did you think of, of the third down stuff and then just everything that Brock Bowers and, and Carson Beck ended up doing there uh, in the second half? Uh,
3: yeah, I mean, the, the, the third down stuff was definitely a problem. Uh, I don't know the full reason for that. Uh, you know, I'd have to – I'd honestly have to go back and watch every single one of those plays, and I just have not had a chance to go back and deep dive into those to see what was going on. Um but you know, I think it's it's got to be a combination of both the uh, the third down scheme and some misassignments, and probably some credit to Georgia. Um, you know, the one thing that I looked at in the in the fourth quarter on Brock Bowers' uh, game winning touchdown, or what ended up being the game winning touchdown, was just a master masterfully drawn up play at the exact right time for the coverage that that Auburn was in. And I, I think that a lot of that had to do with, uh, uh, you know, Mike Bobo. with Auburn was basically shutting them down, shutting Brock Bowers down in the first half of that game. And I think Mike Bobo and that staff were able to find something in Auburn's defense that they were able to exploit a little bit. And um, one of those things was, uh, you know, being able to get some other guys open. I know there was a play where uh, Brock Bowers went out to this, uh kind of a, a short out route, and quarterback looked that way, and the defense kind of reacted to it, and it left another guy wide open back behind those guys. Those are the kinds of things that Georgia was able to kind of take advantage of, and then that kind of loosened up that uh, loosen up what they were going to do to Brock Bowers, I guess is the best way to say it. So, uh, but the last play, the the touchdown to him was just. I, I mean, it was just a great play call, and perfect timing for that play call. Um, and then uh, on, on on the third downs, you, you just asked me about the defensive third down sure. third downs, but you know, obviously, Auburn's got to figure out something on the on the sure. third downs on yeah. offense as well. Um, I don't know what that is. I, I don't know if it's more run pass option like true RPO type stuff. Uh, I know they were running some of that. Well, I'll but give you the key. Like,
1: it can't be more than third and five. Oh, well, sure. I mean, they, you, you
3: can't be right. in a passing down because you just don't trust any sort of a passing distance, not a passing down, but passing distance. You don't trust any sort of passing distance right now with this team. Uh, and, and that's not just on Peyton Thorne. That's on the receivers. I, In fact, I'm sitting here looking at a uh, a, a stat that was saying that six of his nine incompletions actually hit the hands of wide receivers. So. You know, you can't blame that all on Peyton Thorne. Some of it, yes, but uh, you know, on the offensive side, they've just got to figure it out. on On the third, on the uh, defensive side of it, on third downs, you know, it's one of those. Like I said, I'd have to go back and look at it, but I think Georgia found something in that defense that they were able to exploit a little bit, and something that was able to free Brock Bowers to get open a little bit more, because Auburn didn't just suddenly decide not to cover Brock Bowers. Yeah, you know, right. That, that's part of the chess match. I mean, obviously, yeah. he's the best player on the field. And he's going to
1: win some battles, sure. Yeah, and and that's
3: happen. that's what Ron Roberts, um, kind of got aggravated about and said. You know that you know somebody was talking about that they didn't bracket him. He's like, you know, what game were you watching? I mean, they they were covering him, but I mean, he's one of the best players in the entire country. He's going to, like right. you said, he's going to make some plays, and then if you have the schematic that you can draw up to really kind of exploit what Auburn was doing on defense, and I think that's what happened in the third quarter.
1: Yeah, and you saw some of that bracketed coverage. I know they were showing it on the CBS broadcast. I believe the combination was like Zion Puckett and maybe Cam Riley or or someone like that. A couple of those times at least one of those big catches towards the end and what was happening was is Bowers as a shock to almost anyone is faster than the linebackers yeah. so he creates a separation there and the timing of it was such that Beck would get the ball before pocket the safety could get down to then help because you were you were using that double team with two very different placement of players it wasn't like two DBs near the line of scrimmage trying to both jam and that sort of thing or or someone jamming and then someone helping from the side it was is, okay, you've got someone that's pretty close to the line of scrimmage and a linebacker that's going to help, and then you've got someone 15, 20 yards down the field as a deep safety helping, and they would just be able to find the seam in that and and time it well before Puckett could get over to help. That's part of Bowers being really good because great tight ends, why we get so fascinated by them, why coaches get so fascinated by them, is that they're the size that a DB can't truly cover them, and they're the speed that a linebacker can't keep up with them. And that's what Bowers is. Because even a couple of those catches, like the one that got called back, the one-hand catch, he was covered. He just kind of just wiggled his way to where he stuck his arm out, makes a one-handed catch, and, again, it came back. But it's like the coverage on there is at least a B, and yet he's just, you know, oh, look at this. I I see the ball. Boop, real quick. And so – uh, that's part of Bowers being great, Brooks. I want to ask you. I know that you were talking uh, a lot about the the six out of nine passes that did hit the hands yesterday. Uh, what do you think on the on the third downs and, and on on both sides of the ball there?
2: Uh, I mean, it's 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 You know, Hugh Freeze said it, and uh, we we talked about it yesterday. It's something that's you know that that's what killed the t- killed the game there, and uh, you know it's. Georgia went out and they made some plays on third down when they were on on offense. They they were able to make make those big plays. Um, if you're the the defense, you can't give up those all those third and longs. Like you you've got to be able to get it get a team. Uh, what what really separates defenses is the ability to when you get into third down or and especially getting into third and long where you pin the offense's ears back and you just you you say you're not getting this first down. Um, and so they weren't able to do that on Saturday. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, you know, it's it, you you got to make those, you got to do what Georgia did. Got to make those conversions. Um, like you know, Tom pointed out. We we talked about it all yesterday. Um, the the passing game was fine, but the draw. It's the it's the it's the chances that uh, when you look at those, you know, you look at the the incompletion numbers, uh, and you know, you look at the wide receivers. It, it goes back to where you know. Uh, I think Hugh Freeze was asked last week before the Georgia game about that wide receiver room. He said, we still don't know what we have there. They're they're four or five games into the season, and they still don't know fully what they have in that wide receiver room. And, uh, you know, that's going to be one of those issues. I know, you know, when Hugh Freeze came in, uh, you know, last year, the end of last year, and he hit the ground running going offensive line. That's what he's going to have to do this year in the off season. Is he's going to have to get it hit the ground running uh, with the wide receiver room because it's just you you can't. You know, I know, I know you brought in a good passer with Peyton Thorn, um, uh, and there's been there's been games that you've looked at it. You said, all right, you could see it, and there's some games where you don't. This game, I feel like you could have seen it a lot more if, if you had a you know a little bit better of a of a wide receiver room that would have made those six grabs because at that point, if you make, you know, let's say you don't even make all six, maybe you make four, that's 14 of 19 passing. That's still a good day at the, at the, uh, in the office passing wise. Um, so if, you know, you, you go into it, um, I don't know, it's, it, it You've got to get better play from those wide receivers on going down the stretch. I don't know what more you could do. Like I said, five games in and you're still uh, sitting there thinking, what What is the wide receiver room? Um, I don't know how much more you could do, but that's going to be a big issue that you have to address in the off Is is the that wide receiver room?
1: Yeah, and and look, I I'm a little disappointed in that part of it too. And uh, we we talked a lot in the preseason about the opportunities those guys would get the various kinds of receivers they had i was getting all excited about these big bodied receivers that they had yeah. and really it's been like jay fair that has been the most impressive you had some fair weather in there but fair weather has not gotten open a ton or at least they've not seen him it's really been fair that has seemed the most uh impressive. And What I thought about the passing against Georgia is that some of it was there, as you guys alluded to. Some of them were just going to be flat-out tough throws. But I think that when you look at what Thorne is being asked to do, they gave him a reasonable amount to chew on Saturday, and he still had a couple plays that left to be desired. His running was the most impressive part of him, and, and that's something that George was completely caught off guard by, and I and I know I was too.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, he he had a sixty yard run, <laughs> so uh, you. It, it kind of goes into one of those things that we've talked about with him. Yeah, listen, he's not the he's he is not a Robbie Ashford type runner. Yeah, uh, he's definitely not the next coming of Nick Marshall, so he's not that, but. I, you know, I watched tape on him before the season started. I watched some of his uh, Michigan State tape, and I thought then, I was like, you know, he looks a lot similar to Bo Nix in, in the ability to actually run the ball. So I, him running does not surprise me at all. Um, obviously, yeah, it's catching some other teams off guard because he, he's supposed to be the passing quarterback. Robbie Ashford's supposed to be a runner. Yeah. Uh, This makes me also go back to wondering about this off weekend and and what they may do. I mean, you're trying to figure out your identity. And, you know, are you run to set up the pass? You pass to set up the run? What are you going to do? And they're going to have to evaluate that quarterback situation right now and, and try to figure that out as well.
1: We have time for a quick phone call on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line before we get to Justin Ferguson.
0: Anthony from Auburn.
1: Anthony is with us. Anthony, how are you this afternoon?
0: I'm good. I'm gonna be quick because I know you got a guest coming up. You know, as far as recruiting, yeah, he's gonna
4: have to get out there after the season and get at it. But I'm gonna tell you something. With this being an a open week and no opponent, certainly he could get himself together with uh, some people on the staff and uh, and get out and check out some of these Thursday night games, Friday night games. I'm gonna do you one better. If there's any junior colleges playing on Saturdays then this is the perfect opportunity to go check that out. I mean, nowadays when you have a lot of analysts, some of them former defense coordinators and position coaches, you can put those guys to work during the week and work, work the players out and correct a lot of things you might want to correct. And then at some point, you freeze, slip on out on Thursday night on the plane with, with some selective staff and get to those high school games on Thursday and Fridays and visit those high schools and, and get into those junior colleges on Saturday and see how that goes.
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that he wants to do that kind of thing. That's why he's tried to step away from the play calling, uh, if not 100%, at least 90%, and why he's tried to turn most over it over to Philip Montgomery because he's wanted, wanted to focus on that recruiting part.
4: So, I mean, that's that's what open weeks are for. So, uh, hey, go get it. Well, y'all enjoy y'all guests, and I'll call y'all uh, later on in the week.
1: Sounds good, Anthony. Appreciate that phone call. All right. That is Anthony calling from Auburn here on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We need to take our first time out of the show. Again, when we come back, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will join us. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
0: Call into the show send us your thoughts via email you've got mail sports call at the tiger.fm we're done paying the bills now back to sports call on tiger 95.9
1: Welcome back to Sports Skull Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom PV Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday edition of the program. And we are now pleased to go back to our orthopedic clinic phone line and we welcome on Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Kind of take some more time out of his week to join us today. Justin, how how are things in your world?
5: No, I'm doing all right. How are you
1: Doing very well. Of course, we have to start with uh, the Auburn and Georgia game inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium on Saturday Obviously the Tigers big underdogs coming into that game. Uh what was the most important thing that Auburn did well that, that uh Tigers fans should feel good about?
5: I mean it's just the fact that they played a close game with Georgia. It's been a while since one of those has happened. Uh, you know, twenty nineteen was the last time Auburn lost close to Georgia and even that game they were down twenty one nothing headed into the fourth quarter. Um so you gotta really go back to twenty seventeen, last time it was a real four quarter game against against Georgia and so I think for Auburn, that's that's progress. Shows that you are making progress. You're making some steps in the right direction as a program. I don't think Georgia's as good as they've been the last couple of years, but they're still very, very good. And I thought it was something that Auburn played a pl- close game with a team like Georgia without necessarily playing, like, the best basketball possible or football possible, I should say. Um, you know, that's that's a good sign. Um, you know, you can tighten a lot of things up from that game uh, and feel like you could come out even better. So no moral victories. You know, um, it is a heartbreaking loss because you feel like you came so close. But I think if you're Auburn, you'll take, you'll definitely take, uh, you know, uh, making the progress that they made in this
3: game. Uh, now that we've gotten through the, the games that we have and, uh, and now we're at a bye week, uh, looking at this offense, have they developed an identity? Are they still trying to develop an identity? And if so, what is that? You know, just what are your thoughts on this offense and where it stands right now as we go into an off week? Yeah, I
5: think they know what they want their identity to be. It's just a matter of going out and doing it. They're going to be a run heavier team than most teams, but they got to be able to throw the ball. And so far this season, they just haven't been able to throw the ball very effectively. Um, they got to get better at it. Um, I thought Peyton Thorne was better in this game than he was against Texas A&M. Um, I thought some, you know, not great stats, but you know, receivers probably could have come down with a few of those balls, and you know, it's a different ball game. So, you know, I think they're going to want to run the ball. They're going to want to be creative the different ways they use the running game, and they did that against Georgia. They just got to find ways to, you know, actually just make some progress throwing the ball. Um, and, you know, if they do that, I think this is going to be a team that, you know, an offense that can get better as the season goes on and pick up some wins that they need. Um, so I don't think they're trying to, like, search for a night English, like, what they're good at. I think they know what they're good at, but I think they also know that, like, if you're not balanced, it's going to be hard to be good. At the at the stuff you're stronger at, which right
3: now is running the ball. Yeah, Uh, and uh, Ryan started out asking you about the positives of the week. You know, one and kind of looking at a negative, and and you did a good breakdown on this about the uh, third down situation with Auburn. We've been discussing it over the last two days. Uh, What was it that you saw? What was the issue for Auburn on third downs? Uh, Really, both sides. I mean, they could not convert third downs, and they couldn't stop third downs. And so, what was the issue there?
5: Yeah, I think on offense, it was just kind of. Some uncreative play calling on third and short, pretty predictable, some of the things they were doing, and really caught up with them in that game. Um, Also the fact that, you know, third and long is just a death sentence for this team right now. When you can't throw the ball effectively, you get in third and long, you're you're just toast. And I think that's kind of the bigger issue for the offense more than anything. On defense, Georgia's got the best player in the country in Brock Bowers. they got some guys that can win one-on-one battles. I mean, Lab McConkey's a good receiver. I'll tell you a big difference in this game. George's transfer receivers were two SEC guys that had made plays before, Rara Thomas, Dominic Lovett. Auburn's transfer receivers are a lot of guys who, you know, this is the first time they're playing in big games like this at the SEC level, and I think it showed in that game. Um, but, you know, I think the big thing, um, you know, you can't blitz on every down. You can't be predictable with your pass rush. But I do think Auburn might would go back uh, from that game and say, you know what, we probably should have done a better job of, um, you know, blitzing and, and, and finding ways they were more effective with their blitz on third downs than when they just rushed four. And, you know, Auburn's, Auburn just can't get a uh, quality pass rush this season with just four guys on a consistent basis. That's so just you know not the case. I mean, if if a team just decides, hey, Jalen McLeod's not going to beat us on this play and you can double-team them or chip him or something like that, it's just been hard for Auburn to make plays. So I feel like they probably could have blitzed a little bit more. Could have changed up the coverage. I, you know, I, I don't think the coverages and the calls were necessarily bad. For what Auburn did, I just don't think they just had the personnel to beat Brock Bowers um, and, and some of those guys like you know, Donovan Kaufman's a great football player. He's, he's made some big plays for Auburn this season. He's a smaller guy trying to guard the best tight end in football right now. So, I mean, like that's really, really tough to to do. Um, I saw it when Jalen Simpson got hurt um, and was not on the field as much in the second half. That really caught up to him because Simpson did a really good job on Bowers in that game. He didn't really have him. And Georgia was trying to play away from Simpson, so some strategy, some execution um, errors on Auburn, but I think a good chunk of it was just, hey, Georgia's got some dudes, and they've got you know elite football players that made more plays than Auburn did.
2: Justin, you kind of touched on this when we talked about the offense, but I, I want to go back and uh, what was your thoughts on Hugh on the offense since Hugh Freeze took a little bit more uh, 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 front row approach to the game planning and the play calling on Saturday?
5: Yeah, no, I mean he didn't take over play calling, and he didn't you know, <laughs> run Philip Montgomery out of a job or anything like that. Uh, it was still a collaborative process, but he put more had more of his fingerprints on it, and he's just kind of looking at it and saying this like, hey, you know, we need to get better. Offense is my thing. I'm willing to sacrifice some recruiting time in order to help us out. Um, and so I thought Auburn's game plan was pretty good. Um, there were obviously a few calls they'd want to have back for sure. But, you know, I think I think you were better on offense. Um I mean Heck, this is the first time Georgia's given up 200 yards on the ground in a game in like four years. So, I mean, so you did some really good things at times out there. Um, but I think ultimately for Auburn, the, the big thing for them was just, you know, they've got to, you know, they've got to find a way to get this passing game going. I'm not expecting them to, you know, start throwing three, 400 yard games out there, but you just got to be more effective because um, if you're not, that running game, which you've got a multifaceted, creative running game, your offensive line's a better run-blocking unit than what we saw last season. You can't take full advantage of that if you are very predictable um, on early downs and if you just, you know, the other team knows they don't have a threat to throw. Um, And when you do that, you face loaded boxes, you face stacked defenses, and it just gets out of whack. So I think Q having more input on this offense is a good thing. Um, I don't think there's any controversy um, there or anything like that. Um, I think it's just head coach taking more responsibility and kind of going back to his roots a little bit off week. I'm sure they'll be working out a lot of those things and see if they can do something, um, you know, these next few weeks, because I mean, you look at the next three games, Auburn's got LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi state, those are three defenses that are at a hard time so far this season. So there could be some opportunities for Auburn to uh, really, really get, get going and, and uh, take some steps forward on offense.
3: Uh, you, you just used the word controversy, and, uh, you know, I'm going to just kind pick of your, pick your brain and pick your gut here. But And as we go into this off week, uh, you know Auburn's going to want to run the ball a, a lot. Has Peyton Thorne done enough in the run game to say that he can run this as a rushing-type offense? Uh, does Robbie Ashford see more? Uh, what is your gut on what's going to happen with this quarterback play or the quarterback situation as we get into the uh, after the off week, I should say.
5: Yeah, I would be very surprised if Peyton Thorne lost the starting job. I do think, you know, after the off week, I do think that he you made some progress and played well enough in some areas to take a step forward. Like I said, some of the receivers going to come down with some better plays there. wasn't perfect, obviously He had his own mistakes, but I think you know. The passing game struggles are not just on the quarterback. It's kind of like a in this game it was kind of like an everybody kind of thing uh, there for Auburn's offense. I did think the Robbie Ashford usage was good. Um, that was a package. You know, it wasn't like because I asked Reese about this after the game on Saturday, like, "Hey, you used him more often." He's like, "Yeah, that was it was the package. You know, we just ran the package more. We probably should have ran it more with him." So maybe you'll see more Robbie Ashford, but I don't think you're going to see Robbie Ashford in a hey you have this you have this driver. Hey you you're starting or you know you are our guy now um, unless you know something changes there so I think Thorne being able to run the ball is good um, he is more athletic than people give him credit for um, he is Auburn's best shot at throwing the ball I mean I don't want to I don't want to rag on Robbie Ashford and I don't want to pick on him um, because I think he's he's done a really good job with what he's been asked to do this year but we're just really in and asked him. It do, it doesn't seem the play calling when he's on the field. It doesn't seem that Auburn has confidence in him to throw the ball uh, downfield very often. Like that's just that's just not what they're doing with him right now. So um, ultimately, they want Thorne to be better through the air. Uh, but I do think there's a way to do that and also keep using Robbie Astrid and his, his strengths on the ground. So uh, would not be surprised if we see more of him out of the off week. But I still think this is Thorne's job.
2: Justin, you, know, you, you mentioned this guy's name when you were talking about the, the uh, struggles on defense a minute ago, but Brock Bowers, he, he came alive in that second half, specifically that fourth quarter. What was the difference when, from the first half to the second half, and how did he start you know, kind of dominating that defense a little bit?
5: Yeah, Jalen Simpson got hurt. I'm not gonna, I mean, that, that, that's, that's pretty much the bottom line. Also, if you go back and watch that game, there were a lot of times where Bowers was motion in pre-snap Georgia was getting him away from Jalen Simpson. Simpson had done a really good job in coverage on him. Um, so, you know, Simpson wasn't able to play every down in the second half. Um, and that, you know, Georgia took advantage of that. Like I said, Don Coffman's a great player. Um, he's done some really good things for Auburn. He's not built to cover Brock Powers uh, as well as some other guys on the team could have been. You could have used a Keontae Scott out there, uh, obviously. Um, you, you were just kind of maybe a step slow at times with your other safeties. Um, so I, I think... It's a combination of factors, I think one, Georgia really leaned on, um, really leaned on Bowers when they knew that, you know, Simpson wasn't a hundred percent. Uh, it was also the fact that Simpson wasn't a hundred percent and, you know, I mean, he just did make plays and, you know, I think the best bet for Auburn down the stretch of that game was, you know, making sure that Carson Beck had to get the ball out of his hands quick and not, you know, not throw have time to throw it down the field, um, you know that first big third down conversion that Bowers had, that one hander behind his back, um, that's just an awesome play on a not great throw um, That gets decent coverage. I mean that that'll happen. You just just say, hey, you got it on that one. The late one before the touchdown uh, on the final drive, that one, if you go back and look, um, it's just you know he had time, you know, Beck had time to throw, and Bowers had time to get open. Like when you aren't 100% in your secondary. And you're playing the best uh, player. I I think the best player in football, on Brock Bowers. If you give the quarterback time, dude's gonna get open at some point. Can't cover him forever. Um, And so, you know, it just it just worked out that way. And then, you know, he's hard to bring down. Uh, And uh, they just Georgia did much better to have a funnel on the ball to him when Auburn's best coverage weapon was off the
0: field.
1: We're talking to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Call. A couple more for you, Ferg. Let's turn our attention real quick to basketball. I know over the last couple of weeks, uh, there was have uh, some schedule updates. The SEC schedule came out. The times uh, for a lot of these games and the non-conference and the SEC slate came out. What did you think of uh, everything to do schedule-wise here in the last week or two?
5: I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, we knew when they were happening and, you know, all that. But, again, times I thought hey, it was interesting, you know, some of the – some of the games that Auburn had didn't seem to have very many early games, early tips, a lot of later ones. So I think could be a, a factor, especially at home, um, you know, getting a getting a really good charged up crowd. Um, you know, be interesting to see what they do when they play Baylor here, start of the year in, in, in South Dakota. But you know, I thought it was a really good. Uh, Those, you know, a lot of a lot of stuff that I think you know that schedule the way it shakes out is you know could be a good one for Auburn. I don't see a lot of just overwhelming stretches that would be too, too hard for them.
1: And then, Ferg, I saw that uh, yesterday, or excuse me, not yesterday, Sunday, you and some of the guys on the beat uh, went to Talladega for that cup race. Give me the background on that if you've ever yeah. ever been before and, and uh, how much fun that was.
5: No, that was my first time. So uh, Jordan Hill uh, used to cover Auburn here. who's now back at Georgia. Is uh, getting married uh, in a few months, and uh, he had some of his friends uh, go to tally he's a huge nascar guy grew up grew up uh in a in really nascar country in north georgia where there's just a lot of fans and a lot of drivers have come through there um so he's a big nascar guy and he was just like hey i'm already gonna be in auburn for for uh, auburn georgia weekend that weekend's the race in talladega let's just go you know let's let's uh let's go on sunday and see what see you know i'll i'll show y'all you know what a nascar race is like and yeah you know, i'll be honest with you, i i never really had been a nascar guy in my life i don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just never really appealed to me. I got family. Uh, my dad's side of the family, it's from the Talladega area, so I was kind of familiar with just kind of, you know, the layout and all that. But just going there, it's just I got. I, I mean, I'll tell you, it was a lot of fun. um I got a great appreciation for like how insane NASCAR is. Like, these cars are going 200 miles an hour, and they're like six inches from each other. It's it's crazy. It's loud. It's everything's just big, theatrical. Um it's a lot of fun. I had I, I had a blast. Um, you know, not probably not something that like a hobby that I'll just like start picking up watching routinely, but you know, kinda learning a lot about it and, and uh, you know, just witnessing it in person. It's definitely like, you know, it's one of those things that's just completely different watching it um in person than compared to watching it on T V. So I had fun. Um, I had a really good time and, you know, I'd definitely go back to a race uh live in the future. It's just it's just pretty special to see. Uh,
1: just everything that goes into it. Yeah, no, I uh, I I, I join you there in that I had not been to a race until uh, just the other year when I went to Talladega, and uh, I, I did have a little bit of a background of liking the sport, but it, it is completely different in person. You get oh, yeah. the feel of the the noise and and just how fast that really is, and it's uh, it's pretty insane stuff. Well, Ferg, as always, we appreciate the time today. What can uh, our listeners and your readers find on the Auburn Observer here in the coming days during the bye week?
6: Yeah,
5: no, so in the bye we are uh, taking some focus on basketball. I uh, wrote a uh, story today. We talked to Pearl and uh, Charles Barkley yesterday, um, you know, before the, uh, the, term, the the fundraising event that they do every year at Grand National. So, got a lot of stuff from Bruce by the first week of practice for scrimmages over the weekend. I don't know if y'all can hear in the background, I'm at practice right now. Um, so, I've um, been, been here, you know, the, since practice started last week. I've been to most of these. So, learning a lot about. This team, and um, so you're going to get a lot of basketball this week. I mean, we had the Monday story about Halbert's third down defense, the film room. You can check that out. But we had today's newsletters on uh, the basketball team. And then tomorrow, it's kind of a, a bi week tradition for us. Um, whenever football's off, our, uh, what's usually our preview podcast for games on in the midweek, um, we're actually going to switch that into a uh, basketball podcast, just kind of doing an early preview. So it'll just be nothing but basketball. Um, in our podcast tomorrow for subscribers. And then got the uh, 13 for 13 series uh, on Thursday. Going to write a story about d Ford that I'm looking forward to uh, writing and then mailbag on Friday. And then we'll be back at it early next week as uh, Auburn LSU um, gets cranked up and Auburn comes back from the bye week. So a ton of stuff at the site right now, a lot of basketball, uh, but some football as well. Auburnobserver.com. check it out.
1: We did hear from time to time some background noise uh, related to that basketball activity, and it's certainly a a great sound to hear. Justin Ferguson with us today. Justin, as always, we appreciate the time. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Yep, absolutely. Thank you, guys. That is Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Call. We're going to take one final timeout. Back to wrap up hour number one of Sports Call right after this.
0: The Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. I'm Jeff Whitaker, Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion.
5: and You are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
1: Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. Just about four minutes left here in this first hour of the program. Coming up at 4 o'clock, Kevin McAlpin of the Braves Radio Network to talk all things Braves from this 2023 regular season and look forward to the postseason. Also coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, we know we've got a couple more phone calls to get to. We will get to you just after that Kevin McAlpin interview, so keep hanging in there on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, but just about three or four minutes left here. And certainly appreciate Justin Ferguson for joining us uh, there of the Auburn Observer. We chat each and every week with Ferg, as you could hear from time to time. Uh, there were some uh, noises of basketball practice in the background. That's a certainly a great, th- uh, great thing. Ferg did reference it that uh, there are going to be several 8 o'clock start times on the Auburn schedule, both here uh, in Auburn and uh, in other locations, too. So we'll get to that a little bit later, if not in this show, later in the week and tell you about Auburn's basketball schedule. Still about a month out from the start of basketball season, but nevertheless getting excited to start talking about those games on a day-to-day basis. But again, we're just a few minutes left here in hour number one. Guys, I heard yesterday, and I'm a little jealous of this, and no, it's not about Taylor Swift conversation. Uh, That's the
2: second one of the day, and I didn't even do it.
1: I know you're welcome, but very brief mention there. Uh, I was very jealous of the fact that our general manager Brooke Myers came on the show for a couple minutes, no. and that uh, you did a little impromptu taste testing. It was wacky Wednesday like, and uh, did I, I guess I heard pretty good, pretty good stuff there on that uh, that that drink that uh, you guys got to try yesterday. Pretty good stuff. Yeah,
3: I, uh, I yeah I definitely like it. Um, Apparently, we've got some more laying around in the office. Yeah, I, I'm gonna snag a couple. Okay. Before I leave, <laughs> his intentions are clear. Yeah. I, I guess they went well then. Yeah, um, they're good. Like I said, they've kind of. I don't know if you've ever drank liquid IV. The, the I have just, not. Yeah. I've had Propel. I heard you guys
1: mention Propel. Someone did. And well, I one of the flavors I had today. Certainly reminded me of Propel, and I got caught up on it. One was not the strawberry flavored one, or right. uh, whichever one ha- uh, Brooks has with him right now. Strawberry lemonade. Strawberry lemonade is not, but the the pomegranate or whatever the dragon fruit, dragon plum. fruit that one. Uh, you know, insert different fruit here. Yeah. Uh, that one to me reminded me of Propel a little bit. That was very interesting. Is is, is, is that your favorite, Brooks? I don't uh, know. I
2: think I like the, the tropical better. I mean, it's tropical. What you guys had on the show? Yeah, that's what we had yesterday. I haven't had the dragon fruit one yet.
1: Okay, dragon fruit was very propel like.
2: But this one, this one's like it's it's good. Like I, I enjoy lemon stuff, and this is strawberry lemonade. Um, and so it was it was fine. Uh, it just wasn't as it didn't have as much flavor. I don't think as the tropical one did.
1: Okay, all right, that's pretty fair. Um, I'm also lamenting the fact that we didn't do as many wacky Wednesdays in the summer. Involving food and beverages, maybe I had originally planned. Um, there was one or two more beverage ones to get to, and uh, we never really got to any of the food things. So, again, this is just kind of a buyer's remorse on what we ultimately <laughs> decide on. But there will always be more Wednesdays, and there'll always be uh, be more options. And they will be always wacky. Be Wednesdays. And they will be wacky indeed. Uh, just another minute or so left here in this hour. Again, postseason baseball in full swing. That's why we're going to talk to Kevin McAlpin uh, tomorrow. That was also no pun intended on that full swing. Get it? Huh? Um, anyway, Tampa Bay and Texas is the game right now. And also just having started, I believe, in the first innings, Toronto, Minnesota. So that's out in the American League. The National League stuff, of course. Uh, The the series that will interest the Braves the most is the Marlins and the Phillies. The winner of that series will take on the Braves at Truist Park starting on Saturday. And then the other series is between the Milwaukee Brewers and the Arizona Diamondbacks. And the winner of that one will play the two-seeded Los Angeles Dodgers. So uh, these series also, just to educate you real quickly, they're these wild card series they are series not just singular games anymore they're best two out of three and they're played all at the host venue at the at the higher seed's venue so tampa for instance is the higher seed between themselves and texas all three games including if necessary game 3 would be at tropicana field uh, same way for toronto minnesota minnesota won the al central with a a not-a-great record, but nevertheless, they won the Central. All three games would be there, so on and so forth. So they're a little different from the other uh, postseason series. But again, the NLDS for the Braves would be a five-game series, a 2-2-1 format, and we will talk to Kevin McAlpin about that in just a couple of minutes as we take our end of our break here. Again, on the other side, Kevin McAlpin of the Braves Radio Network to talk all things Atlanta Braves You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
0: And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call.
1: Our number two of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday afternoon, and we are now pleased to go back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line where we welcome on Kevin McAlpin of the Braves Radio Network, who you hear on this station each and every day with the Braves Morning Update, and you hear, of course, over on AM 1230 WAUD, a part of pre- and post-game p- coverage for the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. Kevin, the time is greatly appreciated. How are you this afternoon?
7: Gentlemen, I'm just uh, having the, uh, the countdown here, man. I'm counting the days, <laughs> counting the hours, counting the innings so we can uh, get this thing cranked up. A couple of days of family time is great, but I'm I'm just like the rest of the fans, man, itching to get back to the ballpark coming up on
1: Saturday. Absolutely. It's been such a tremendous year for our Atlanta Braves, Kevin, and I start with a little bit of an arrogant question, but I think it's valid considering this team's success. What's your favorite record from this past year?
7: <laughs> well, how much time do you have? I mean, good, good grief. I mean, it's just been one after another, and I think that that, to me, personally is what makes this team so special is we, we've talked about it a lot on the pre and post game show that every night this team takes the field you've seen something that hasn't happened in 50 75 100 years 150 years of franchise history i'm going to go with ronald though it's the safe it's the easy one uh, but you know 40 70 you know coming off of a couple of years of where he was not anywhere close to where he wanted to be help wise we said it all season. It felt like he was a man on a mission from day one of spring training, and that's exactly what you have seen from Ronald this year. So it's been a blast. I mean, you know, the 40-40 is a great accomplishment. But then when you tack on 40 and then 40-70, he's literally creating his own clubs here. It's, it, as Domino jokes with me on the pregame show, it's not a list if you're the only one on it. So he has rewritten the history books, and he has created his own individual lists and I think that you know what he's done and that's not taking anything away from Matt Olsen or the turnaround that Marcelo Zuna has had what we've seen from Spencer Strider historic numbers in the rotation uh it's been you know again we could do this all day long on things that this team has accomplished this year Uh, but again I think that the biggest to me is Ronald uh and look when you start talking about unbreakable records that feels about as close as you're going to see to anything we see in baseball here in 2023.
3: And yeah, Kevin, I mean, there are so many records, but you know, one that really sticks out to me that I just find so neat. You go all the way back to the all-star break. How many players from the Braves made the all-star the entire infield? I, I mean, that seems unheard of.
7: It really does. I mean, eight All-Stars. It's, it's funny, uh, you know, because you, you start talking about, you know, these guys in the All-Star break and getting some time off. Well, literally a third of your team didn't get that opportunity this yeah. year. It's first-world problems, but you were flying out to Seattle for the All-Star game. So, yeah, it, it really is. I thought that was a special moment. Like I said, we could do an entire, you know, hour worth of, of just things that have happened this year and how special they are. When you talk about, you know, again, franchise history. You know, Matt Olson doing something that Hank Aaron never did. Uh, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr. doing something that no player in the history of the game has ever done. Spencer Strider surpassing, you know, John Smoltz's single-season strikeout total. So, uh, again, it's, it's not taken away from anything else that's happened. I'll, I'll throw Bryce Elder in there as well. I think that what you have gotten from him now, again, I'm not going to say he's run out of gas, but he certainly doesn't look uh, the way he did earlier this year. But without Bryce Elder, think about where this team could have been. Um, So, again, you have a lot of unsung heroes as well. You've got the guys who have made the headlines, but you've got the guys who have done a lot of the dirty work behind the scenes that don't necessarily get that type of accolades, and I, I think again, you know, there's there's just so many special things that have happened. This is a, a definitely a season we'll be talking about for a long time to come.
3: Yeah, uh, and obviously the you know Acuna and, and and all those other guys, but another guy that t- just really jumps out at me is Marcelo Zuna. This is a guy that at the beginning of the year, just with the controversy with him, there was a lot of talk on. Uh, you know, the the controversy was not playing well. And, I mean, is he even going to be a part of this team? Holy goodness. Talk about a dude that just turned it around and became an absolute force at the plate for this team.
7: Yeah, for sure. And, look, I'm, I know we're doing this over the phone. You can't see me. I'm raising my hand right now. I'm one of those guys who <laughs> said, how much longer can they put him in the lineup? How much longer can they afford to keep a roster spot? And that's the one thing that I think, and it's one of many things, that Alex Anthopoulos, Brian Snitker, the front office does well. They don't make rash decisions. They don't make snap judgments. They're going to give guys uh, the ability to work their way through things, and that's what you saw from Marcel this year. Again, he hit 085 in the first 18 games of the year. He had two home runs. They were two solos. He had two RBIs on those two swings. Here he is, guys, 40 home runs. You can argue that he should be the comeback player of the year this year in Major League Baseball. And like I said, when you talk about the DH position and you talk about really your lineup one through nine, you're going to have Silver Slugger finalists in every position in your batting order at their respective spots this year. It really is incredible. But yes, Marcel, for the uh, you know for the loyalty they showed him and him rewarding that loyalty, I think that there deserves a ton of credit on both ends there.
2: Kevin, when we look back at that World Series run the Braves had a couple years ago, it was the, the, the midseason, the, the trade deadline acquisitions that really played a big role. This year, the they, guys that got picked up around the trade deadline for the Braves haven't necessarily been the guys of that same level of the Soler and the Peterson. Uh, but talk about their contributions down the stretch after they were acquired in uh, July.
7: Well, you know, I think Nicky Lopez has been a really good fit, right? A good piece to have on this team where, you know, he, he can, he's a versatile defender. You can put, put him pretty much anywhere. Speedster on the bases. You know, you need to have that kind of guy when you get to postseason play. Uh, you talk about Pierce Johnson, a guy whose numbers were not great in Colorado, but the Braves felt like get him out of course Field. There's some metrics they really liked about him and his game, and it's shown up, you know, Multifold here. So he's uh, you know, taken a big role late inning in games. He struck out the side the other night in the seventh inning uh, in the final weekend against the Nationals. That's the guy that the Braves, I think, are going to look at in, in some of those higher leverage situations. Brad Hand, really good career numbers against lefties. He certainly knows this division really well. He's played on every single team in the National League. He, so he's got a pretty good feel for Philadelphia or Miami, whoever the Braves do face. Uh, in the upcoming, you know, wild card division series, I should say. So, yeah, look, again, it, are they the biggest, flashiest names? No. But do you trust Alex Anthopoulos to go out there and make those moves that give you that depth that makes you stronger? I don't see why you would argue that. I mean, you trust the back of the baseball card for the players, and I trust the same when it comes to the GM and, and president of baseball operations. So uh, I think what he has shown is you don't have to go all in and get that one name, that one guy those don't always pan out, but those ancillary pieces are, are just as important. That's a big reason why the Braves uh, you know, hung a banner a couple of years
1: ago. So, Kevin, let's talk about how this postseason sets up for the Braves. And obviously with the NLDS starting this weekend, some injury concerns for the Braves starting pitchers. Charlie Morton will not be available. Uh, Freed had to miss his last start with, I believe, a blister or some sort of finger issue. So, First off, five-game series, much more easy to navigate than a seven. Is it foreseeable to have both Strider and Freed pitch twice in a five-game series? How do you think the Braves would try to line that up?
7: Absolutely, yeah. You can have Game 1 and 2 starters go 4 and 5 if it goes the distance. Uh, it is a little bit of a weird schedule for the Division Series this year. You play Saturday, you're off Sunday. You play Monday, you're off Tuesday. You play Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So uh, the good news is is that you can bring your Game 1 and 2 starters back, and that's where you have a significant advantage over whoever you'll play, either Philadelphia or Miami. They've got to use Wheeler and Lozardo tonight. They've got to use Nola and Garrett tomorrow. Uh, so they've got to burn their top two guys, which won't be available in games one and probably two as well, unless you bring them back on short rest. And to me, if you're Rob Thompson or if you're Skip Schumacher, that signals, I don't want to say desperation, but, you know, if you're going back, uh, that to me shows that you don't trust those guys towards the, you know, the bottom half of your rotation. So, again, Braves are at a, at a, di- a distinct uh, you know advantage there. Here's the good news. Max Breed is on the mound at Truist Park tonight. Uh, they're doing some simulated action. Uh, they've split the team in half. Uh, They're actually on the field right now. Freed threw a 13 pitch first inning, and uh, from all indications, he threw the ball well. So that's an encouraging step in the right direction for Max. And look, you know, you can make the argument that if you do draw Philadelphia, you go Spencer Strider for Game One. His lifetime numbers against Philly are remarkable: six and zero with a sub two ERA. I could argue Strider Game One and Freed Game Two makes more sense than vice versa. So um, yeah, the pitching is certainly. Uh, A little bit different um, without Charlie Morton in there. Uh, But, again, what you've gotten from, you know, Max and what you've gotten from from Strider this year. And then, you know, you look at that third spot. Is it Bryce Elder? Do you maybe go Kyle Wright with a fresh arm? We'll see what the Braves decide to do. But, again, I, I think they feel pretty good about how they can line things up for games one, two, four, and five should it go the distance.
1: And, Kevin, probably the only question I would have for you about the lineup is the catcher position there in Sean Murphy and Travis Darnot. And, unfortunately, those two guys have both kind of equally struggled in the second half of the year, both hitting below 200. Do we see the pure platoon uh, from a game-to-game basis like we saw there in the regular season? Or the minute someone gets hot, do they start to get all the assignments? How does that look?
7: I think Murph's going to catch most of the innings, to be honest with you. Uh, I know Darno did it a couple of years ago, but Murph's ability to limit the running game I think is huge. What he has done this year to cut down runners at second base, you know, teams are hesitant to run on. Uh, so, to me, I think Murphy gets the bulk of the playing time, uh, but it's nice to have a guy like Darno, you know, behind him, that uh, if you want to mix and match a little bit, maybe it is a game three situation. Maybe you uh, if you have to play a couple of days in a row. Maybe you do throw him in there, but I think, Um, You know, being being a few years younger, uh, you know, being a guy that has a little more power and being a guy that has a stronger arm behind the plate, I think those all lean towards them going with Murph for the duration and with a guy like Darno being available off the bench in a late game spot if you need to try to, you know, maybe change a game with one swing.
2: Kevin, and you, you mentioned that you know they're doing some simulated action out there, some simulated games. They're doing those uh, open workouts, or fans can come in and watch the games. How important is that uh, for this team to to have those, where you get fans in the in the stadium, can it kind of create a game like environment, especially with the layoff for the wild card round?
7: Yeah, that's that's definitely huge. I mean, look, you want to do the best you can to try to keep yourself in game shape. Uh, you know, get used to you know, still going out. Baseball players are such creatures of habit. And I know we talk about, you know, rest versus rust. And these guys, I think, to a man would tell you – They want to be out there. They want to be playing. They want to be doing – and, again, they're not going to play nine-inning games. They'll probably play six or seven tonight, maybe six or seven or eight tomorrow. Uh, But I think just trying to stay in somewhat of a routine is important. You know, you don't want to take four or five days off. You don't want to get out of your rhythm when it comes to hitting. You don't want to have the pitchers – and the pitchers will take the rest because most of these guys have logged a lot of innings this year. But I think ultimately the hitters are the ones who really want to stay sort of in, you know, game-type atmosphere. And, And, you know, a lot of these guys have told me over the years, When you get a stretch where you play 15 days in a row, 20 days in a row, or, you know, 23 out of 24, um, you know, when, when you're really, you know, kind of dialed in, that's when you're at your best. So, yeah, the rest is nice, being able to take your foot off the gas a little bit, but I think you want to be careful of not doing that too much. Uh, and you know, getting yourself out of where you need to be because, remember, in the next opponent, they're going to be playing this week, so they're going to be seeing live pitching. They're going to be running. They're going to be doing everything they would typically be doing. Um, so I think for me, you know, having these next couple of nights at the ballpark will, will be beneficial. I think you know, they probably saw some things last year uh, getting that layoff that they didn't like, so they're going to try to at least do the best they can to, to simulate at least what somewhat of a, of a uh, daily routine would be for these guys.
1: We're talking to Kevin McCalpin of the Braves Radio Network today on Sports Call. Kevin, last one for you. It's going to be either the Marlins or Phillies. It's going to be a National League East bout in the NLDS. Uh, Just based off of – I don't know if there's a preferred team here because obviously Atlanta's seen them both, had pretty good seasons against both, really had pretty good seasons against everybody, but – I mean, is there is there any any one matchup that would concern you more on on either one of those teams or anything that would that would maybe tip the scales more, even just just anything matchup wise that you would look look at?
7: Well, well, you guys know Philadelphia is my hometown, and hopefully nobody is tuned in from there right now because I know all of us here are <laughs> rooting for the Marlins because Philadelphia is certainly a tough draw. With the way they're swinging the bats, with Schwarber and Turner and Harper and Real Muto and Marsh and Stott, it's a good lineup. It's a really good lineup. Uh, with Wheeler at the top of their rotation, he's a really tough customer. He's got great lifetime numbers against the Braves. So for me, uh, I'm, I'm kind of hoping Miami can go in there and pull off the upset. I will warn folks, though. If you do draw Miami, it's a team playing with house money. They have not been to the postseason in a full year uh, since uh, 2003 when they won the World Series. Remember, they got in in 2020. It was the COVID-shortened year when they expanded playoffs. So it doesn't really necessarily count as much as it does for a 162. Uh, And, again, maybe playing with house money. uh, But I think, you know, (laughs) give me the Marlins over the Phillies. Uh, That pitching staff is good. Their lineup stuff. And we saw it firsthand last year. The atmosphere at Citizens Bank Park was really, really tough on opponents. Um, So hopefully, you know, Jesus Lozardo goes in there, quiets those uh, Philly fans down a little bit, maybe takes them out of the game early. Maybe it's uh, Jorge Soler or Jake Berger early home run that maybe sets the tone for Miami tonight. But, again, it won't be easy. Um, So for me, I think Philadelphia, of all the teams in the playoffs, might be the toughest draw for the Braves. If they can get past Philly, I like
1: their chances against anybody. He's Kevin McCalpin of the Braves Radio Network joining us today on Sports Call. Kevin, the time's been greatly appreciated. I know, again, game one Saturday across the Braves Radio radio Network, including AM 1230 WAUD. Monday, game two, Wednesday through Friday, the the if necessary game starting Thursday and Friday. I I guess we don't have an inkling of the time just yet. We'll root for some night games and look forward to hearing your coverage across the Braves Radio Network. Certainly appreciate the time today. Sounds Thanks. That is Kevin McAlpin of the Braves Radio Network today with us on Sports Call. We're going to take our first time out of the 4 o'clock hour. Back with more of your phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line right after this. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
0: Tuned. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey award-winning sports call. Let's get back to sports call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll free at one 888 tiger 9
1: Welcome back to Sports Call Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. Certainly appreciate Kevin McAlpin of the Braves Radio Network for joining us today on the program. Been a while since we chatted with Kevin. And, of course, a lot of exciting baseball was played this year with the Atlanta Braves. Looking forward to what will hopefully be a very exciting and uh, victorious postseason as well. Got a couple calls lined up here on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, so let's get right to them. 334 887 3401 locally or toll free 9 1889-Tiger9. Next up this afternoon, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, appreciate you waiting for a while. How are you this afternoon?
4: <coughs> I'm good at War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, I know that y'all was talking about Auburn in Georgia. And I was watching this I was watching the highlight yesterday of Auburn and Georgia and I know that we made a lot of, a lot of mistakes on on the first quarter and the second quarter so I'm just I was looking at like how Robbie Ashford was doing and with that being said I think Robbie Ashford should start after this bye week when we play against LSU cuz I'm going to be watching LSU very closely cuz I know they're playing a strong uh team in uh Missouri so I think lSU, they're they're going have their numbers uh, you know, spread across the board as well because I have Missouri's favorite to win. And um I, I don't see I don't see LSU uh, winning on the road in Missouri as well this weekend. I don't see
0: it.
1: Uh, that would be another disappointing loss for LSU that would knock them down to five hundred on the year and coming into the year would not have thought too much of this game, but Missouri is just barely the higher ranked team. I really don't know what's going to happen there in Columbia, but it is an interesting game. And of course, after that game, yes, LSU will take on Auburn and Baton Rouge.
4: Yes, because I think this game is going to be a night game. So I think with Auburn, I know we played night games before, but um, I think this will be this won't be Auburn's first test in um, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So I think this will be a, a true uh, opportunity for Peyton Thornton because I know this would be his first time ever. Playing in a in a big environment like LSU, and um, I know in Death Valley, I know it's going to be kind of hard, and it's going to be kind of loud to 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 get all those thoughts in your mind. And I know it's going to be, I know it's kind of loud there in uh, in Death Valley because I I think with that being said, I'll probably see in the first few quarters of the game, I'll probably see like a thirteen to three deficit league on the Tigers as well
1: yeah no uh definitely very tough place to play at Tiger Stadium now Peyton Thorne has gone on the road to play Texas A&M which is a similar capacity to Tiger Stadium obviously LSU still a little bit better and louder of an environment but so he has been in a tough road environment obviously that game did not go well for the Auburn Tigers a couple weeks ago in College Station but Obviously, the LSU game will be a big one. It'll be a big environment. It will be under the lights in Tiger Stadium.
4: Yes, as well, because I'm actually going to be watching uh, Mississippi State and uh, New Mexico State as well, because I know we're playing the New Mexico State Aggie, so that's going to be um, our home game. So I'm going to be watching uh, New Mexico State as well, and I'm going to be watching Mississippi State and Alabama, because I think Alabama is not going to play – they're not going to play a good game against Mississippi State, so I think I have Mississippi State favored by a 43-point deficit on the on the uh, board as well. So I think that would be a, a huge uh, loss to Alabama. So that would be their fourth loss of the season uh, under uh, Nick Saban as well. So I don't I don't think that Nick Saban is going to come out with a victory and uh, start Vegas as well.
1: All right, a few things uh, to correct real quickly there, James. Uh, Alabama already played Mississippi State in Starkville. That was last okay. weekend. Uh, Alabama did okay. w- did win that one. Uh, okay. Alabama on the year is four and one, uh, so just okay. one loss so far. They'll be at College Station. They'll play Texas A and M on the road this weekend.
4: Oh, okay, because I'm uh, yeah, I, I did get that uh, mistake as well because I did see that game last weekend and I did have uh, Mississippi State uh, favorite to win that one but i lost that one as well so um with uh texas a&m actually uh with alabama going to texas a&m i have texas a&m with a 40 uh point uh lead at home in uh, college station so i think alabama won't they might um i'm not quite sure how the record is i have to look at their Uh, record on Alabama side as well so I think Texas A&M I'll probably give this one to Texas A&M as well but I'm not quite sure on the injury report list of who's who's on the injury on the injured list for Texas A&M as well so I'm just gonna have to see um, how things are between now and this weekend as well
1: yeah their Texas A&M starting quarterback got hurt in the Auburn game his name was Connor Wegman and since then, they've been playing with Max Johnson, who's been playing pretty well. So Max Johnson will be the starter there in College Station, and that should be a good one. That's the two thirty game on CBS.
4: Yes, that's all. And then with the um, with with the um, road to the World Series, I'm actually going to have uh, some other games I'm going to be watching later on. I got uh, Philadelphia and Miami, so I think the Philadelphia Phillies they're going to take this one as well. So I think that one will be a really good. Uh, that will, that will really make Atlanta look like a good uh, World Series team as well. So I'm going to be watching this one very closely on um, on Philadelphia Phillies as well and uh, seeing if they're going to make some home runs uh, tonight as well.
1: And I saw, James, that right now your Texas Rangers are beating the Tampa Bay Rays uh, 4-0 in the eighth inning. So that would be a really good result there for your Texas Rangers.
4: Yes, as well because I did when this game was actually on my uh, on my you know on my uh, on my list of picking. I was trying to pick if if I was going to go with Tampa or if I was going to go with my Texas Rangers, and I said, you know what, I do have a lot of ties to the Montgomery Biscuits. I have a lot of friends that play with with Tampa, so I'm gonna just probably uh, go with my hometown team. And uh, the Texas Rangers. I'm hoping that uh, some of my friends on uh, the Tampa Bay Rays would would uh, you know they won't be upset with me. But I know it's it's kind of hard for me to actually pick against uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. So I'm I'm hoping that my my good friends from the Montgomery Biscuits baseball team for the Tampa Bay Rays won't be mad as well. So I'm I'm very excited and very happy that my Texas Rangers would take out the uh, Tampa Bay Rays today as well.
1: Yeah, And I know Tom Peavy is a big uh, Montgomery Biscuits guy, but I, I assure you he's not mad at you for for uh, picking your Texas Rangers. So I think you're you're all good on that front.
4: Yes, that's all, well, because um, next, uh, next year in 2024, I'm actually going to actually have uh, some tickets for uh, me and Tom as well, and um, he doesn't have to, you know, pay for anything on um, tickets. I, I'm, um, I'm actually getting those tickets uh, very, very soon as uh, as the season uh, comes uh, next year in 2024 as well. So I'm gonna keep uh, keep out a sharp eye on uh, Tom and uh, seeing if they're gonna have any uh, special promotions for the uh, first responders. So I got you, Tom as well.
3: That sounds good to me because I'm definitely planning on keeping on going to biscuits games.
4: Yes, all, uh, so, indeed, because I'm uh, I'm actually uh, going to be you know a biscuits fan until I'm like 95 years old and uh, having some of my grandkids. Uh, you know, when I whenever I do have kids, I'm gonna just be going to the biscuits game until I'm 95 years old and maybe throwing out the first pitch out there and uh, see if I can. You know, see if I could still see if I still had it, you know, as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. See if you can fire in a fastball uh, down the middle for a strike.
4: Yeah, so as well. And then um, I did pick in my uh, treasure, in my uh, trivia treasure chest that I actually picked out. I picked out something really good near and dear to my heart because I'm a huge WWE Divas uh, wrestling fan. So I've been watching the uh, Divas matches for years. So I would love to take those uh, WWE uh, trivia questions as well.
1: Uh, you know, see, uh, James, you, you would have to actually educate me on that because I, 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 I'm really not familiar with with anything there, and I don't, I don't think any of us in the uh, the studio have been watching that. So you, you would know more than we would, man.
4: Um, okay. Well, actually, um, I, I've been watching wrestling for a long, long time, and um, my first. Uh, my first time ever watching the WWE um you know Divas matches was like in 2000 and i know um it it was like the the Hall of Fame uh you know the Hall of Fame matches that i used to watch over the years and one of my favorite uh Divas that i still that I still admire to this day uh she's on in, in a better place now, and uh, she was one of the one of the uh, one of the greatest uh, diva uh, champions of all time in, in wrestling history. And her name is China. So I used to have a, I was like a little kid watching uh, wrestling growing up, and I knew when China was actually, you know, discovered, I I knew that this was going to be like my future a uh, person that I want to, you know, spend the rest of my life with as well. And, um, you know, tragedy struck me, you know, right in the heart when she actually passed away. And, and it really, it really tore me into, into tears as well to see a great, uh, WWE legend like China as well. And, you know, some of these, uh, new, uh, women, uh, wrestlers of, of, you know now they're they're looking really good as well, and um, I actually go to a lot of uh, do, uh, a lot of wrestling uh, live promotions when they actually do come to Montgomery. And my first time actually seeing the WWE live was actually in 2021 when it came to the Garrett Coliseum, and it was it was so amazing to get to see so many great uh wrestlers and getting to like actually getting to scream their name at the top of my lungs and actually having having them actually look up where you know in the in the stands and seeing where i'm at and i'm i'm very excited to be a a, a wrestling fan as well
1: well see i think that uh, that uh, that story was probably better than trivia james it was good to hear uh, some background on all of that and Uh, We appreciate you for giving us that story. Do you have any final thoughts for us today before we have to let you go?
4: Um, The only final thoughts I actually have is um, I'm actually going to see how Auburn is going to do next week after this bye week. So I have a huge weekend um, on the bye week for Auburn, and I'm going to be covering a lot of Auburn news, and um, I'll probably uh, give you all some uh, insights on what Auburn is and um, seeing how – Auburn's uh, football team is going to do this year, and maybe if we're going to make it to a, a bowl game this year as well. So I'm keeping I'm keeping my hopes a little high. So um, I'm I'm hoping that we'll we'll make it to a bowl game this year.
1: Yeah, some insights on, on how Auburn's going to be, and again, definitely still trying to make sure they make a bowl game. I still feel pretty good about that, but uh, definitely want to make sure they make a bowl game.
4: Yes, as well, and then I'll probably uh, find some other. Uh, trivia because i know tomorrow's is uh, wacky wednesday so i'll probably find some uh some some uh weird stuff on um some weird food that i had that never tried before as well so i'll probably get some weird uh wacky uh food ideas from you all guys on wednesday as well for uh, wacky wednesday uh trivia as well
1: all right that sounds good
4: all right, sounds good in War Eagle. Talk to you all, guys. on Wednesday, War Eagle.
1: War Eagle. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We need to take another time out. Back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line right after this. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
0: Sports Call will be back after this quick break. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL
4: running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
1: Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.FM, and the Tiger Communications app. Or if you listen after the fact on the Sports Call podcast, presented by Coca Cola, we certainly appreciate you for tuning in today. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. We now go back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334 887 3401 locally, or toll free, 1 9 Tiger 9. Next up, Wardam Steve. Retire Wardam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon?
6: Hey, good afternoon, and why don't we start this with, let's play a game.
1: Yes, you just saw Saw 10 then.
6: Yes, I did. Uh, I don't know if some, you guys like graphic, uh, you know, well, let's just say uh, pretty much uh, machines, but uh, if you like Saw, uh, this one is as good as uh, the first one. Uh, so you guys, uh, if you, you, do you, have you seen Saw? Yeah, no,
1: I, 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 uh, I, some people will judge me for this. That's okay. But yeah, no, I've actually seen them all, and I will plan on going to this one pretty soon. And I've read very good reviews. As you said, it's been it's been labeled the best one since the first one. So uh, I'm excited about it.
6: Yeah, has some uh, some truth to it that you might not be able to, to figure out. But anyway, uh, I enjoy it. So uh, let's get to it, guys. Because yesterday uh, the guys were kind of let me have almost two and a half hours. So uh, <laughs> uh, I'll narrow it down. Also, oh, let me go real quickly to a, uh, an event that uh, I didn't know about until I read it uh, from Legion Report. Um, a gentleman by the name of Adam Wainwright, don't know very much about Legion except for Atlanta, but apparently he's retiring, and he did it over the weekend. Now I don't know if you knew about the event and what they did for him.
1: Yes, they got him a puppy. Yes. 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 Yes,
6: and It's an odd name, puppy. Uh, apparently, uh, it's uh, a what's, – what's it called? It's a um, – in fact, the uh, the, uh, the breeder came and uh, gave him the puppy. Uh, he was surprised with, um, let's see, is, it's uh, an odd name. Um, yeah, I'm not, nah, su- I, yeah, it, I'm not it, sure
1: what the breed is, but I just know that it was because he, his kids kept wanting a puppy, and, they, right. and he said that once he retired, he would get them one, and so the Cardinals went ahead and got him one.
6: Yeah, they got him one. And that's all that I This is an oddity, too. That's the only team he's ever played with.
1: Yep, all career.
6: All eighteen major league seasons were with the Cardinals.
1: Yep. After that, Braves traded when he was in a, uh, he was still in the minor leagues. Yeah, he he only played uh, for the Cardinals there in the majors.
6: Yeah, and you know they named the puppy right?
1: I did not. I did not actually.
6: Okay. His wife already named the puppy Louie. Okay. That's why I guess the Louisville Cardinals.
1: Uh, well, yeah. I mean they're St. Louis Cardinals, so I don't. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. I see
6: sure. St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. Uh, oh, here's the name of the of the uh, the, uh, the breed of dog. It's called a Legato Romagnolo.
3: Whoa. That sounds expensive.
6: Yes, <laughs> yes I'm, I'm sure it was. And the owner, uh, or the breeder, came all the way from another state to to, to present it uh, to him. So anyway, I'll bring that up. And speaking of historical events in uh, sports guys, on this day in 1997, would you happen to know what happened uh, involving – a national um, well, NHL uh, event that I don't think will ever be broken. Uh,
1: NHL in 1997. I I don't know.
6: Uh, Nobody? That
1: that would have been in Bill Bailey's forte. Yeah, I'm not
3: an NHL watcher.
6: Neither am I. But this came up from the History Channel, and apparently Gordie Howe on this day became the only pro hockey player to to compete in six decades.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
6: At the age of sixty-nine, guys.
1: Okay, very nice. On this
6: date, yeah, his nickname was Mister Hockey. But how he did this? Because he played it six different decades. Uh, he played with uh, primarily with uh, the, the Red Wings. But on this date, he had a one-day contract that allowed him to do this. It was by uh, an NHL team. Yeah, uh, it's called the Vipers. They signed him to a one-day contract, so then he could be the person that now holds this record, having played six different decades uh, in NHL history.
1: Pretty neat stuff, yeah.
6: Yep. He played in front of Capacity crowd, 20,000, said, and they presented him with a bronze sculpture. And uh, anyway, now, on that one-day contract, he only played for 40 seconds.
1: Hey, that's all you needed, though.
6: And that's how he got uh, the record. Okay, moving on, guys. Uh, I know uh, Tom... Um, you guys like trivia stuff, right? I know James does too, and I heard James. Um, you may want to look into this particular book. Uh, this is the uh, third edition of this book, uh, but it is called Weird Sports. All right. Okay. Now this is the third one. So this one's called. Uh, uh, yeah, the first one was called uh, Weird Sports. The next one was called uh, Weird Sports Two. And the most recent one just came out called More Weird Sports. And this photographer didn't decide to do this, but he just started uh, going around uh, photographing different events all over the world. So this book has photographs I'm looking at right now. Uh, You can find out about it on a website called atlasobscura.com. Stuff like there's a three-day potato day, mashed potato day festival. that's held in Clark, South Dakota. Wow, okay. Okay. There's a llama race that that goes on, Uh, and that's in uh, Colorado, (laughs) believe it or not. Not in Peru, but in Colorado.
2: Is it like the llamas are running themselves, or are people riding the llamas?
6: Uh, The llama race is in Fair Play, Colorado, okay, and it's about well-behaved the llama is. Participants run a five-kilometer race, which is about three miles, while leading a llama on a tether.
2: Oh, Interesting. So how about
6: that one? Yes. So they, these are really, and they got a, a log uh, racing contest. To go occurs in Japan. Anyway, it comes all the pictures. But the photographer says in comments, I was reading, that it's less about the weird sports, but more about, he says, people just getting together uh, and the stories behind how they, um, you know, got to, to these events and what made them want to participate. So, anyway, I, I'm going to get the book. Uh, the newest edition of it. So I just thought I'd let you guys know about it.
1: Yeah, there'll be some great trivia out of that.
6: Weird sports. Okay, now, let talk about some things that are weird. There are, what, three teams, I believe, in the SEC left. They're undefeated. Is that right?
1: I believe so, yep.
6: And that's weird for me. Not that Georgia's undefeated. Right. But that Kentucky and Missouri, and Missouri undefeated. undefeated. Yep. Of course, they looked at their uh, schedule and who they've beaten. And had you given that schedule... Auburn, I think we might be undefeated as well. What do you
1: think, guys? Yeah, with I, I think you'd have to go through it. I know Missouri's big triumph is against Kansas State, and I, I think Kansas State is a, a really solid program. Obviously, they were ranked at the time uh, that, that that Missouri beat them. Uh, Kentucky's side of things, though, I mean, certainly some of the the stuff they've they've already done this year. I mean, they were playing like Eastern Kentucky. Uh, I know they looked really, they did look legitimately good against Florida. They ran all over Florida. Last week, but you know Vandy. I would expect Auburn to beat, and and uh, I think before that they had like Akron. So I, I definitely think that to, with Kentucky's schedule, Auburn could be five and zero. I'm not sure on Missouri side thing if Auburn would beat Kansas State, but otherwise, yes.
6: And Missouri, for the most part, I mean, as long as i am known in the SEC, they've just to me an afterthought, and now here they are standing undefeated. Wow.
1: Yeah, I mean, even with Missouri going to the SEC title game a couple times, I mean, I agree. I mean, when I when I think of the uh, the, the the SEC hierarchy, it goes well well towards the bottom before you get to Missouri. But uh, with with their standing in the Big Twelve back when they were in the Big Twelve from time to time, and then obviously, like I said, going to the title game a couple times, like they do have a ceiling that is at least a little bit higher than some of their cohorts in the bottom of the conference. So. Uh, I, I don't expect them to finish at the top this year. I do think they'll be losing a couple times here shortly. But I, I do think it's good for them that they've they've gotten going. And, and uh, again, they do have uh, a little bit higher potential just as a program than a couple of those other schools down there.
6: Sure. Okay. Uh, but, Will, I'm sure uh, they'll all be sorted out probably within the next two weeks. Or yes. Probably only one undefeated team uh, at least going to the Tennessee game. Do you agree?
1: Uh, I would agree because I, I think Georgia will beat Kentucky this week and uh, you know Missouri LSU I'm not really sure on that one. I, I think that I think that LSU very well could be beating Missouri if lSU lose Missouri they're having a uh, I mean they're already having a rough time but they, they would be having a uh, unforeseen uh, very poor rough time. So I still kind of lean towards LSU in that one, but I certainly do think Georgia will go ahead and beat Kentucky this this week.
6: Okay, I want to get your thoughts guys and comments on this. Uh, statement was made by uh, Coach Freeze uh, after the the game as well, uh, but even recently since then, that uh, pretty much uh, had a lot of people wondering, really? Uh, That somehow uh, Georgia may not continue to be our rival game every year. Uh, Did you guys see that comment that he made? Or hear about it?
1: Yes. I I don't know if it was some sort of slip. Uh, I don't know if it was maybe not knowing all the facts and just knowing that for now they're not going up to an extra game and that it's not guaranteed every year because they've not done the full model yet. Uh, I'm not really sure uh, what exactly went into everything in that comment, but I know that he did end up uh, liking or or commenting on a tweet a little bit later that, that said there's been no... Uh, you know, no yeah, he backtracked announcement, Curry. yes.
2: Yeah, you know, he made the comment yesterday at a speaking engagement, and then he was at another one last night, actually down in Mobile. Right, and, right. And he, he, you know, he, like you said, he backtracked it a little bit. And, you know, Kirby Smart kind of made a, a comment similarly leading up into this game when he, was, when he was asked about the Auburn game. I think it more speaks to just the, like Ryan was saying, the uncertainty of what the schedule is going to be going for. Not that they know anything or that they have any inside information on what that schedule is going to look like. It's just nobody really knows what that schedule is going to look like going forward, right?
6: But if you don't know, then why was that even mentioned?
1: I mean, I don't, I don't know the the full context of the quote, but I mean, I, I mean, if someone asked him about the Auburn Georgia rivalry, I mean, it it still can can absolutely come up in conversation.
6: Well, what what do you guys thoughts about uh, that? You know, would you be okay or not with that rivalry, rivalry not being a yearly contest?
1: Yeah, again, I I think it's sad in some ways, some of the rivalries that we have lost. Uh, I think that, uh, honestly, at the end of the day, I get the whole bit about uh, college football changing, but I just think one of the core great things about college football is rivalries and I know that it's been incredibly deep, difficult to beat Georgia the, the last seven or eight years I get that but you don't run from a rival just because they have a good stretch on you and so and, and obviously that's not up to Auburn or to Georgia I mean that, that's up to the SEC uh, but but I just I I think it would be a shame uh, if that game ceased to happen I think Georgia people really value that game I think Auburn people value that game and uh, I, I'm, just, I'm not in the business of trying to eliminate more rivalries.
6: Well, now, you've got my curiosity when you said that, Ryan. It's not up to the, uh, the, the football administrators, uh, the coaches, the ADs of different programs about the rivalries. It's up to the uh, home office?
1: I mean, I said it's not up to Auburn and Georgia specifically. It's up to the collection of ADs. It's up to the collection of the, the SEC. I mean, they're the one. The, the athletic directors and presidents, they're who, who vote on stuff like this so it's not up to any one school because you have to have a majority uh, I'm, I'm simply saying it's not it's you know if Auburn and Georgia vote to have the nine game schedule and to keep a couple of permanent rivalries they could still be overruled by more schools so I'm not I, I'm just simply saying it's not their sole decision whether to play that game it's up to the the, the league as a whole all of its athletic directors and yes the the people uh, that run the southeastern conference
6: Okay, uh, and I, I welcome a rebuttal. That seems to me not really, I guess, fair or just fine. I mean, you agree to be – You know, hey, you don't get to play Alabama anymore. Or Alabama says you don't get to play uh, Florida anymore. I think it might be the, the teams themselves. Say, yeah, we still want to keep playing each other.
1: I mean, you agree to be a part of a conference and subscribe to its rules. You get voting – rights within that but obviously you can be overruled by the majority and we don't know to be fair again that well all this is around the uncertainty of what will happen it still very well could be that this rivalry is maintained that there is a nine game schedule and that there are uh, more than one permanent uh, opponent but uh, again, that's part of what you sign up for when you when you're able to to be a part of the revenue and the prestige and the big matchups and all that in the conference. I mean, you're not necessarily going to get your preference 100 percent of the time. Like do you think and, and you can say Auburn matters more than in this example, but do you think Vandy gets every preference or Missouri or South Carolina? I mean, I mean like not not every single team is gonna get their way every single time. I, and I'm not sure on what the conference ruling would be if you tried to make that a non conference game. I know that that has happened in a few conferences. Uh, I think there's another, exa- you know, for example, the AAC is going to have Army Navy as a non conference game. That rivalry will continue as a non conference game, despite Army and Navy going to be in the same conference here in a couple of years. So. Uh, there can be special exceptions, although I don't know if Auburn and Georgia would obtain one. Uh, again, it just plays into the uncertainty around it all. But, but yeah, no, you you sign up for a collection of votes and collection of ideas.
6: Okay, fair enough. I just uh, didn't know the, the details of all that. So, thanks for educating me. And finally, guys, you know, I thought we were woeful in, in scoring an offense, right?
1: Uh, yeah, not great.
6: Well, I thought wrongly. Uh, I just read from Leach Report that the New York Giants are more woeful than we are. They're professionals. They've only scored three friggin' points in two games.
1: Yeah, the uh the Giants have been struggling. They they and the Jets have not uh played a single snap of offensive football with the lead this year.
6: And those are professionals, right?
1: Yep, but they're also playing professionals. Higher higher yeah. level all the way around.
6: I know, but you know, they get to they I mean they get to pick and choose who they want.
1: Right. Uh, so well, they've not the chose level. wisely.
6: I know, but three points. I saw that, that, that. This is shocking to see that a professional football team can't score in two games um, or just three points.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, it's all the offense there up in, in upstate New York has been, has been problematic. Yep.
6: Okay. All right. That's all I got, guys. Hey, thank you so much for the time you gave me yesterday as well as today. So hopefully I'll get out of debt pretty soon. Uh, well, with that said, I uh, will listen to the podcast later on, listen to Mr. Justin Ferguson, and who else I was on today?
1: Uh, Kevin McAlpin of the Braves Radio Network, yep.
6: Okay, now, I haven't even seen the odds real quickly, uh, but I guess some, the Phillies are favored tonight.
1: tonight? Uh, they should be, yes. They're at home, and they are a better team.
6: Okay, so it's that Philly, then?
1: Yes, all three games, yep.
6: All three games, wow. So the Marlins got their work cut out for them? Very much so. Okay, guys. Have a good afternoon, stay safe, and uh, we'll do this again tomorrow. Until then, War Eagle.
1: War Eagle, Steve, appreciate that phone call. That is Retire Ward MC joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We are out of time in the 4 o'clock hour, but stay tuned, more to come in the 5 o'clock hour, including a Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Third and final hour of Sports Call, starting right now, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday edition of the program. First, uh, fun first couple of hours as we were going to the orthopedic clinic phone line early and often. Appreciate Justin Ferguson for joining us today of the Auburn Observer and Kevin McAlpin of the Braves Radio Network. That was Uh, a good one. Yeah, it was a good one. It was good to catch up with Kevin as the Braves had an historic year, and uh, there was a lot to talk about, a lot more that we could have hit on for sure. We get now to the portion of the program where it's time for the sports call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment with time Uh, in time with your family and friends and Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them online at sclandgroup.com. For the five at five today, real quickly going to go over something that you guys did last Tuesday Uh, For the 5 at 5, which was the top 5 rated games of the weekend in terms of audience, we'll start with... Number 1. And that was USC and Colorado. Surprise, surprise, Colorado, most watched team again in the country. A little bit closer of a margin this week as we'll get to number 2 in just a second. But Colorado and USC saw 7.24 million people watch it. Of course, USC led that game by a lot. Colorado got back in that game, made it interesting late. uh, But that was the most watched game of the weekend. That was 11 a.m. kickoff. Again, 7.24 million people watched it. Number two was the Deep South oldest rivalry between Auburn and Georgia. That one got 6.4 million uh, viewers as Auburn, uh, about .8 short of the USC-Colorado game. Of course, the 230 CBS there. Uh, pretty easily ahead of what was number three, but so U.S.C. Colorado was number one, Auburn and Georgia number two. Number three was what was College Game Day: Notre Dame and Duke. Going to talk about this game here in a little bit. I think is that was a very interesting one between the Fighting Irish and Blue Devils. Five point three two million viewers for that one number four michigan and nebraska big brand game in that one 4.48 million viewers for that game which i be honest with didn't watch a single play of i know uh, michigan had relatively no problem uh with that one but uh michigan with uh, a 4.48 rating there of viewership number five and number five was a Flat out alcoholic game between LSU and Ole Miss. That won a 3.72 rating as that was the 5 o'clock central start there in Oxford. ESPN did a doubleheader with LSU, Ole Miss, Bama, Mississippi State. Bama, Mississippi State came in sixth for what it's worth. But LSU, Ole Miss with a 3.72 million viewers, a 1.9 rating. And uh, that is the... Five at five presented by Southeastern Land Group. Top five most watched games of the weekend. In Colorado USC, number one. Auburn, Georgia, number two. Notre Dame, Duke, number three. Michigan, Nebraska, number four. LSU and Ole Miss, number five. I do want to get to some of the national games in just a minute, some of the other SEC stuff, but I did have a few more thoughts on Auburn, Georgia I wanted to get to and before we start to close the book on that one, or at least for the day. And I, I wanted, I, earlier we, we talked third downs. We, that was a big problem, both offense and defense. Uh, I identified that as kind of the, the biggest coaching decision, maybe the, the worst coaching decision on the defensive side of the ball. I wanted to hit on, I know it's still negative, but the most negative uh, offensive coaching decision i found in the game. And, and I think many people have talked about it and can figure this one out. But it's the third and one, fourth and one sequence there. Uh, in the first half towards the end of the first half uh, where games tied and you have an opportunity uh, to score there before the half short field all that get momentum uh, and and you know george is going to get the ball first in the second half which ultimately they did nothing with it they turned it over the first place it felt like auburn got it first but you'd gone to robbie ashford playing qb there it near the red zone again and they had started it a little bit earlier we saw it on the first drive when he handed uh handed off a few times i think he got one run uh in the first sequence we saw that a little bit earlier or excuse me a little bit later uh where uh he handed off hunter scores that sort of thing but this time what we saw is we saw him get the opportunity around, I think it was about the 31-yard line or so, um, and you, you bring it in a couple – you get a first down or two, and on third and one at the 12, he subs out. And they they go back to Thorne. They ultimately run up the middle, and maybe I've confused that. Maybe maybe the drive I'm thinking of where he went earlier, maybe that's in the second half. So, so my apologies. Maybe this was the first drive of it, second drive of it. Point remains. Third and one at the 12, that's when they take him out after putting them in and, and getting at least one first down beforehand. So my thing with it is if you were going to actually have a play-action pass, then Fine. I guess, but you labeled this as your package to be successful in the red zone. That's why you went to Ashford. It would later result in a Robbie Ashford rushing touchdown uh, early third quarter. And, and so it was working and you had gotten nine yards in two plays. I I will provide a line of thinking. I don't agree with that line of thinking. I will just offer to you now a line of thinking of why they did that. They might have been thinking, well, if we put Thorne back in, they might think we're going to pass. Because we know that they know, that 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 I know, that they know, that we know, and blah, 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 blah knows that if Peyton Thorne's in the game, there's a little bit higher chance of us passing than if Robbie Ashford's in the game. And so maybe we'll catch them off guard with another run and be able to get that yard or two. Well, they didn't. And they ran two straight plays they did not move yard if you were u- ultimately that line of thinking is overthinking that is worrying too much about what georgia thinks you'll do and not enough about what you need to do to be successful and what you do well and what you did well in that sequence and in a later sequence is run some read options some run con- concepts with robbie ashford uh, and I think there was one other play where they had a third and short. They ran pistol with Ashford. It was a straight give, and they, they went backwards or something like that. I think that also occurred. But you were having some success with that. And the whole reason and the whole concept of why Ashford, if you're going to run the ball, makes sense in those situations is because it helps both parts of that run equation. Yes, Robbie Ashford is a better runner than Peyton Thorne. But the threat of that helps you run with your running backs better. Because as we saw, Georgia did not respect really at any point in the game Peyton Thorne. Even after the 60-yard run, they still did not respect it that much. Um, They labeled that as a one-off. As a breakdown. Right. And, And so when that occurs, they still don't really leave that last person as accountable that last uh, person on the line of scrimmage on the edge accountable for the quarterback. They let allow him to crash towards the running back. But if you have a quarterback that can run all of a sudden that changes the assignment for either the defensive end or the outside linebacker. And that makes that person accountable for the quarterback. That's one last person that is really a part of the running back run element of that play. And so, I just did not think it was wise to then free up that, that end, that linebacker, another body, to not have to account for the quarterback and then run it twice, uh, run, run run two different types of run plays there to no avail. So I thought that was the poorest coaching decision on the offensive side of the ball. Again, I I, I think that was really uh, – that part of it was, was – about the only bad offensive decision-making things, yeah they didn't execute some things like yeah. that's obviously going to happen against number one but i thought you run the ball over 200 yards you did take advantage of your short fields yes you did not come up with many 70 80 yard drives you came up with one or two that went for a field goal i think ironically uh i guess because of that 60 yard run they had like an 80 yard drive that went for a field goal uh, but you know i i thought that It was that was a reasonable, they reasonably met the expectation level for that game. Now, scoring 20 points a game for the year, no scoring 20 points against Mississippi State, no Arkansas, no. Um, but I I think that given what you were, what the place that you were coming from, and given who Georgia has been, I think that they did a reasonable job. But again, though, that's that specific situation was the situation they messed up that was the biggest situation in the game because if they get that part of it right you get that right you score we'll also recall on one of Georgia's scoring drives i believe it was their first touchdown drive of the second half i think it was still 17-10 auburn remember there was a tipped ball that i forget which linebacker it was maybe it was riley maybe was, i i don't i don't remember had a diving play to try and pick it off and just couldn't quite get there. Just got on the edge of the fingertips, couldn't, couldn't haul it in. You, you can do this exercise, and some people make fun of it for, oh, well you change one or two to play, but the point is is that you legitimately are a player two away in that game. And so that's why, look, in the short term, yes. there's It's just, you, you just absolutely hate losing that game. You had a chance to win it. It was Georgia. It was number one. It was on your home field. It, it, it sucks. It, it still absolutely sucks. But that's why big picture, I think it bodes well because you saw the progress in a lot of areas. And, in fact, you were a player two away. And, in fact, it did matter about the talent because you needed one guy to kind of out-talent players the way Brock Bowers did. That, that's what you needed in the wide receiver room. And you didn't have it. Or you needed one guy on that defensive front, a Carl Lawson or a Derek Brown or a Marlon Davidson, or a Corey Lemonier or a D Ford, whoever you just needed one guy up front to change the dynamic of what happened when it was third and nine, someone to make Carson Beck throw it a count earlier, or to if he if he waited a count too long, make him pay for that with a sack. That's what they needed. I don't think Auburn had a sack in this game. Uh, I think Beck had one play where it was like no gain. He like fell forward, and it was not technically ruled a sack. I don't believe, but Auburn did not have a true sack in that game. And it's not like was throwing a bunch of screens and slants. So, yeah, no, no sacks, Tom. So that that's when we talk about the talent gap. It's a, it's the lack of a difference maker, sure. either in that receiver room or on that defensive front. And that's all it came down to. And, again, short-term it sucks, but long-term I think it bodes well. Any, any, any thoughts you'd like to add or subtract from
3: that? Uh, no, I mean, it, yeah, the lack of the talent is what it is. And Hugh Freeze has talked about that very openly, saying that this roster – is not where he wants it to be right now, and it's not where it was going to be. And he was he tried to warn people that had these lofty, weird, lofty expectations for Auburn this year that the talent level right now is just not to the level of a Georgia. It's not to the level of a LSU, Texas A and M. He said. These are programs that have had years now to put together recruiting classes and to put together rosters over several years. They've literally had a month, or, or not a month, but they've just had a few months to get all of their stuff put together to fill the team this year and at least get some kind of a modicum of a respectable lineup out there that is made up mostly of transfers from all, all over the place. So, yeah, I mean, there's a talent gap, absolutely. But I think they're closing it. Uh, if they can hang on to some of the recruits. I didn't like the fact that, uh, yeah, I, I get it. They're kids. They make their recruiting trips. The uh, the kid out of uh, California that uh, committed, the offensive lineman, and then he made an official visit this past week. DeAndre Carter. Te- DeAndre Carter, yeah. Made an official visit to Texas, and it's like, mm, you know, that's like one of those key studs that you just really need so bad. Um, you hope that these wide receivers that they're going after you know the perry Thompsons of the world don't change their mind um that's the one thing that that you have to be so careful of if you do start losing games is that do you lose the interest of some of these guys that it's i get it as part of it you know that's but that's where the coaching the recruiting comes in is they tell these players listen don't let the losses affect you right now because you got to understand that hey, that's why i'm recruiting you I'm recruiting you because I need you to come in here and help me right. fix this. Exactly. You the guy that you're the guy that can come in here and make a difference from day 1 instead of sitting for a couple of years and waiting for your shot, you come here and play just as easily as anybody that we've got on this roster right now. So so you have that going for you, but that's the big thing right now. It's talent. And Georgia has one of the best players in the entire country on the field and he showed why. He's better than what Auburn has on defense right now and, and then just the pure fact that that's just a, a matchup nightmare when you have a tight end that big that can catch that well and can run routes that 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 is an absolute matchup nightmare for any defense out there and uh it's just I, I hate to keep, I hate to keep saying it is what it is but they but it really is that's I mean, You just don't have the type of talent that you need right now to compete at the highest level in the SEC. Now, the fact that Auburn held their own with Georgia is such a huge step in the right direction, and I'm very proud of that. I don't like moral victories. I don't take a moral victory from this, but... You see progress, and that's one thing that bothered me with Brian Harson is that you never really felt like you saw the progress, it just felt like it was always t- going backwards and going backwards. Now, that said, that progress needs to keep going forward. Yes, you get an off week this week. What you absolutely don't want to see is Auburn go into Baton Rouge and just get their door like A&M again, yeah. exactly, you know. Uh, you know, two steps forward and a huge leap back. It's like, no, don't go to Baton Rouge and get your doors blown off. Do, do I think LSU is going to beat Auburn? Yes. Yeah. I absolutely do. LSU is more talented. It's a night game in Baton Rouge. Um, it took – Auburn forever to win in Baton Rouge after winning in ninety nine. It it took a Brian Harson team to actually beat him. And and that will an L- always
1: be the weirdest thing that happened. Uh, yeah. But yeah.
3: But it also but yeah. it also took an LSU team that was about as down in the yeah. dumps and the doldrums for their program as you could possibly imagine. So LSU is better. They you know, they've they've got better talent. They've had several a couple of years now to build that talent level up at LSU. So yeah uh any sort of lofty expectations you just it got to be tempered and understand that that yeah things are getting better right now you're going to have to take your lumps
1: yeah uh, again and the recruiting part of it too is i mean that's long term what's what's going to di- dictate su- success or failure in in a, in a lot of ways and i i again i I want to talk about for just a moment what a couple of these recruits are saying because these are the kids that Auburn's trying to get in the next couple of years and how different a loss like A&M is versus a loss like Georgia. There is no great loss. There is no objectively good loss, but what there are is worse losses than others. Uh, And there's a loss that you can paint in a positive way of which we're doing here and a loss that you can't paint in a positive way, which is like Texas A&M. And this Georgia deal Here's a couple of quotes from some of the big-time recruits that visited Auburn Saturday. This is from the number 14 player and number one edge rusher in 2025, Jared Smith. Quote, Auburn's just a few pieces away from being great, so why not come? Another quote uh, from a guy uh, in Alvin Henderson, 2025 running back. Auburn sh- Quote, Auburn show that they can compete with one of the best teams in the country, end quote. So, see, what you did here is you showed, hey, here's our great environment. It's as good as it comes. Here's the number one team in the country. We were a player two away with guys that are not as talented as who you are deemed to be. So, you come here in front of this crowd. You win this game. You then become all the way up the rankings because you can be – if you be the best team here, you can beat any team here. And – you can see what this place can be and how close we already are because you're walking the line of we lost because of blank and those reasons will not exist when you are here. We know how to coach. We know how to get the most out of you. We did it in the past at Ole Miss, blah, 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 blah. And, and that's what Perry Thompson li- likes. That's why he cited uh, committing to Auburn. And for whatever you make of that, that's that's why he did it. And so you use that narrative. You pair it with how close you currently are in a game like the Georgia game with the environment that you had at your home field, and that's the recruiting message. It's very simple. That begins to wane in year two, but especially in year three, year four, and that's why the recruiting is so important in the first couple of years because you can afford the losses while still keeping a positive pitch and a positive message and not have to explain the yeah buts and, and, and all that sort of thing. So... Uh, that's still, I think, a positive impression overall in, in what they're doing recruiting-wise. But, again, it will take some of these big guys. And, again, those those three stars, okay, maybe if you're a good coaching staff, you develop them in the starters. Those four stars, those are your guys that you you you, you count on in a lot of ways, good, reliable guys. Some will make the NFL. Some will just be really good stalwarts for you. The five-star guys are what? puts you over the top in a particular game, a particular moment. And so that's why Auburn's targeting these guys. That's why it's a big deal when you get a Demarcus Riddick, when you get a Perry Thompson. Uh, And that's why Auburn is still working hard on 24 and 25, trying to bridge that talent gap. We're going to take another timeout when we come back. We'll talk a little bit more about the college football world, maybe an SEC thought or two, and then also a thought or two on the uh, a couple of other big matchups that took place in college football this past weekend, uh, particularly out west, and then also with that Duke-Notre Dame game. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
0: Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call Auburn.
1: Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday edition of the program. Final half hour or so here. And let's talk a little college football outside of the realm of Auburn and the SEC. Let's talk about a couple of the top 25 games from this past weekend. Put a bow on those. Uh, You had a very interesting situation uh, occur... Uh, with Colorado and USC, where halfway point of that game, it's looking a lot like USC Oregon. It was 34 to 7 at one point. I said USC Oregon. Yeah. I'm at Colorado, Colorado and Oregon. Yeah. Yes. It was 34 to 7 in the first half, 34 14 and a half, but even outside of the half, USC scores first in the second half, make it 41 14. Yes, Colorado answers, but back up to 48 21 USC. And then. The turntables uh, with, <laughs> with three straight Colorado touchdowns to get it to an onside kick situation at the end. Um, I can't figure out, and I know it's maybe not like the biggest talking point around here, but nationally it's important one of these teams are going to find their way to the playoffs. USC, Washington, and Oregon. I mean, they all, I don't know. You put a blanket over them. Do you, do you have a... A preference in the three at this point of what you've seen, and uh, can you can you trust USC's defense I don't, I don't, I, against I, well, one no, of
3: those? I, I'll tell you this. I know I don't trust USC's defense at all. No. Um and yeah, I mean I mean Oregon goodness, Oregon's playing so good, Washington's playing so good, Utah is not playing good. That was right. a team that was also supposed to be. Yeah, there's the just team. no quarterback there with Cam yeah.
1: rising out, just can't score. Right. Yeah.
3: Um so yeah, I mean I, I i feel like those two teams feel like they have more of a full package than what Southern Cal does. Um, so yeah, no, I don't trust Southern Cal's defense at all. I, I mean, well, I know I know Colorado's got a good offense. I get it. You know, Shador Sanders and slings it all over the field. I get it, but. Man, you got to be better than that. Well, like if Oregon
1: shuts them down to six, then right. you know it's imp- it's it's at least possible. Sure, not that you have to give up six, but that you give up seventeen or twenty or something right. like that, well, yeah. just hang around, and but all of a sudden yeah. the fourth quarter it nearly
3: yeah. completely gets gets away from you. Um, no, I don't trust their defense at all.
2: Yeah, I think that's what's going to be keep them out of the playoff, like it did last year. I think that USC—they've got the offense to score. I mean, we we see them every single game. They put they're putting up points. It feels like you know the headline on on ESPN.com says Caleb Williams throws six TDs and win over Colorado. I feel like that's every. It feels like the Caleb Williams and the. Is the Shohei Ohtani of the USC Trojans? Except for they have more positive outcomes. You know, Shohei Ohtani in, in baseball, it's like, oh, Shohei Ohtani did this Im- incredible thing that nobody's ever done since 1903, and the Angels lost. Oh That's what this is feels like. Except for it's Caleb Williams did, you know, threw for six touchdowns and they won by six, and it's like their defense just doesn't. It is non-existent. And I think Brant said it yesterday. Um, it's it. it we i think we came to we we know what we're getting with the Lincoln Riley team. They're going all in on offense. It's going to be great. They're going to, you know, they're going to score, they're going to outscore everybody and they're going to have to because there's not a defense on that side of the ball. We i mean, you know, we, we think we saw it kind of last year with what what was left there with Oklahoma with a defensive coach coming in, with Brent Venables came in. He didn't have a lot to work with there. We saw what happened. Now you're starting to get back on track. This year Oklahoma's a ranked team. This is the first time this weekend that Texas and Oklahoma thinks what a top Fifteen matchup or top twenty matchup, and since like the mid two thousands or something, or really like that 20- long? It, I don't, it may not. I may be over exaggerating no. that. I saw some stat where this is the first time that they're I mean, both ranked been
1: down for a while, but
2: uh, ranked pretty high in a while. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's what keeps this USC team out. Washington, they've got an offense that can score the football a lot. But when you look at this past weekend, they played an Arizona team. They put up 31 points. Arizona scored 24 on them. And an Arizona team that, you know, I, I talked spoke about them in the preseason when we did our, our previews of all the, the conferences. I said Arizona was going to be a, a better team this year. They're not a team that hangs around with a team like Washington that can score points at will. I think the most complete team right now and – i'm i'm also still kind of hesitant to say it is oregon because you saw what their defense was able to do they shut down colorado i know you know and, and colorado still has a couple years to you know get building to where they can be you know fully on the same level as these other three but their defense was was great um my only problem is they haven't had that you know huge test like they, it, they haven't gone up against a, a you know, a, a big time offense uh, that I, I think can score with them with the, uh, with with the defense. I think in a couple of weeks when you get to that Washington Oregon game, that's going to be their big test. Yeah. That's going to be the, the the game that tells you if this Oregon team is for real. And even, you know, even then, you get down the line, you get to a playoff scenario. I don't know how much, uh, you know, we always question Pac-12 defenses anyway when you get into the big games at the end of the year, um, even if they do look really good throughout the year. And so I, I think right now I would put as the most complete team with an asterisk because I don't know what they're, you know, they haven't had a big test yet, is Oregon, uh, I think, offensively though Washington and USC are right there together but I think Oregon's defense uh, gets the job done more often than not
1: yeah look I I, again I I know that I've spent months railing on this conference (laughs) it's dying a painful death currently it's having one last shebang before it goes out. And it's a big one, it, but it's a big shebang. It is a lot of what the college football world is going to be looking at in the coming weeks. Here's Oregon's next. I'll just give you the rest of the schedule. So they're they're idle this week. They enjoy their five and zero start. At number seven, Washington Host number thirteen, Washington State, who's undefeated. Cam Ward looks like a lot of fun at quarterback. At number eighteen, Utah then finally a breather with Cal before they play number nine Southern Cal, then at Arizona State, then the Civil War, number 15, Oregon State. So five of their last seven seven games are against ranked teams, and all those ranked teams are in the top 20 right now. So none of them are just hanging on to a ranking. They're all uh, solidified in that top 25. It's brutal. Uh, It's going to be a lot, but – as of right now and it's it's hard because as you said, Brooks, via the competition, you're tempted to say that Oregon uh, looks the best because they've done back to back 42 to sixes. They seem to be the one that has the best shot at playing good defense. Washington Washington on the defensive scale would be in between yeah. USC and Oregon, uh, certainly more competent USC, but I think Oregon's got higher upside there. They all have quarterbacks that are just tremendous. If I, I would probably take Williams, and then I'd lean Penix probably over eh, Bow. Yeah, but probably. It's it, <laughs> you're splitting hairs, man. I mean, no. again, it is it is going to be uh, that 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 threesome there is going to be a lot of fun uh, to watch out there out west in the Pac-12. And, again, that's just a fun conference overall because Washington State and Oregon State trying to go out with a bang. They're the last two t- uh, teams standing in the Pack 2 yeah. uh, for this fall, and they're both ranked. It's like, hey, someone come get us. Like, <laughs> okay, we do increase some in value. Uh, so, so that's been interesting. Also want to talk about Notre Dame-Duke game. Uh, under any other year of sports call, that sentence would not be said. Uh, that would not be a valid sentence. No one want to hear that. Yeah. But – Top 25 matchup, Notre Dame comes off the brutal loss to Ohio State. Not that you lose Ohio State is inherently bad, but the way that you lost to Ohio State. Duke is getting perky. They beat Clemson in week one, uh, was undefeated coming into this game, got college game day for the first time, top 20 ranking, and they led late, very late, fourth and 17 for Notre Dame. Sam Hartman gets 18 yards by running, not by throwing. Uh, and then they get a, a long t- uh, touchdown run a, a play or two later, uh, and they and they score. And then to make matters worse,
3: That's right? may goes up.
1: Uh, Riley Leonard, yeah, oh, Riley Leonard. Leonard. Yeah. Don't don't you wish that on me? <laughs> uh, and so. <laughs> Riley Leonard gets hurt, which I, I've not heard the severity of it. It looks severe at the time, maybe a high, right. ankle, high ankle sprain. sprain is okay, I, ju-
2: I just went and looked up to see it, but it's he's not expected out for the season. But four to six week it's, type of it's deal. It's going to be a minute before yeah. he's back. Yeah,
1: and so Duke goes from like trying to get towards the mountaintop, not of the entire sport, but like you're about to be top twelve or top fifteen. You just had a college game Now you're going to win. There's no reason you can't have a huge historical year by your program standards. To you lost and your quarterback's done for a while. That is a brutal end of the game for Duke.
3: Yeah, I, I think. I mean, it, well, I mean, I say they they'll bounce back. They'll they'll bounce back when their quarterback gets back. So, um, yeah, that, that's actually setting up for a very interesting Duke UNC game. If
1: if if he comes back I, in it's football, pretty, yeah,
3: yeah, <laughs> in football, it's pretty late. I think it's game
1: ten of the year, so I would yeah. think that Leonard would probably be back right. by then. But yeah, no, I've been screaming that since Duke beat Clemson because I knew Carolina would be pretty good. Yeah, uh, that that was the, that was not a
3: shock. What I mean, the, what is this world coming to? <laughs> Dude, Transfer portal man. We're talking about, I, I, actually, you know, here is the crazy thing. It, it it almost feels like the role reversal of Auburn and Alabama basketball football like you know auburn yeah you know the program that never accomplished anything all of a sudden they get good kind of right that same time right after that bama starts getting good and you're starting talking about the iron bowl basketball matchup being a big deal which was like nobody's ever heard of that before and (laughs) now you're talking about duke unc being must watch tv in football
1: yeah crazy uh and then notre dame brooks i mean that was some resolve. That was still a, a iffy game though. It was yeah. not like they were they look like world beaters or anything. Duke is pretty good though, but uh, what do you think about it from the Irish point of view?
2: I mean it it's important now for them cuz they lost that Ohio State game all you know because they're not in a conference it felt like when you you know it feels like when you lost that Ohio State game they're going to need some help to get in the back into the playoff you've got help coming up like after this Ohio State game you beat an, a ranked Duke team that's a that's a check mark for you your next game Saturday you're v- visiting a ranked Louisville team that could be a check mark then after that you get to host a ranked USC team that could be another check mark yes. you've got 3 after that Ohio State loss you had three games on this schedule that are big time check marks on your list that say hey we need to do we need to win these games and get help to get back in the playoffs so you got to do your do what we can control they did that to start with this past weekend it wasn't pretty but when you look at the end of the year when the the playoff committee is going back and looking at it they see a win over a ranked duke team that's a check mark that no matter how you do it that's a win. It, it, you you got two more games coming up. Uh, like I said, Louisville, USC. You've still got contests against Pittsburgh, Clemson, uh, Wake Forest, and Stanford the rest of the year. Not you know some of those games are not cakewalks either. Now Clemson
1: that, could still end up being a top twenty-five team by the time they play. <laughs>
2: Wake Forest, they were going to want to get you know there, there's some players on that team. that will probably be like, hey Sam, why'd you leave us? We're still a good football team. They're going to want to uh, say you should have come and, you know should have stayed here. Um, but it's Notre Dame. For, you know, they, they, they gutted out a win. It was on the road. There was a lot of hype there. It's one of the, you know, biggest games uh, that Duke's ever hosted. Uh, you know, it was a, a huge deal having game day there. But you were able to overcome two weeks in a row. You know, you had uh, Notre Dame was involved in a game that had college game day at it. They weren't able to get the job done against Ohio State. They were able to do it against Duke. And so you're setting yourself up to – Continue to go down this road where you are con, you know, controlling what you can control and then hope that some of these Pac-12 teams knock each other off when they play each other and some of these SEC teams that are up there, some of these Big Ten teams really uh, when, that are up there can knock each other out and Notre Dame can find their way back in that playoff conversation.
1: We're going to take one final timeout in the show today. When we come back, we'll wrap things up. And we'll have a nightly TV guide presented by White Claw, Hard Seltzer. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
0: attention please ladies and gentlemen can i please have your attention we're auburn's first and auburn's favorite sports talk show hi my name is what my name is hi. my name is sports call on tiger
7: 95.9 this is philip lolly former auburn tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 national championship team and you are listening to sports call
1: Sports call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress with you here for the last few minutes. Tom Peavy had to
2: we lost somebody. go
1: back to work at the fire department, but uh, appreciate Tom for being here this afternoon. We did lose somebody, but not in spirit. He'll be back tomorrow. Uh, final few minutes of the show. Tomorrow we'll talk some more NFL as we do on uh, some Wednesdays. Also get to some of those other Auburn talk to- uh, to- topics, excuse me, like the – Basketball schedule, the SEC opponents, some of the tip times for some of these games, what we like and don't like about that stuff, and talk a little MLB postseason. Brooks, I know just real quickly. Already saw one game go in the books. The MLB postseason got the Rays uh, losing to the Rangers. Uh, I asked you off air, but just for the purposes of on air here in just uh, ninety seconds or so, uh, do we like the way they do the format now of the MLB playoffs? You like it being a, a two out of three instead of a one off and Three out of five, and then four out of seven—that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, because I, I think that you, you know, one—if you're the major league baseball—you want to get to a series that has your best teams in it. So your four best teams in, ba- in baseball, you know, in theory, sit out the first round, um, and so you want to get to those games, you're going to get to higher stakes games, um, and so I, I think you know it, it kind of it makes it a little more uh, frantic a little bit to get to you know because you're I've only got two games. To you know, in theory, I've got two games to win. those. like the Rays. You're on the cutting block now. You got to win tomorrow. You got to come out. You got. It makes things a little more exciting because there's you know, if you win a five-game series, oh, we lost game one. We, we can you know, we can sit back here. We can, uh, you know, reevaluate. No, Rays, you got to get in here. Like the the Blue Jays, I think are losing right now to the, the yes. Twins. You got to get you know, you either got to turn this game around or you got to get get on it tomorrow and, and try to even the series up. So it it adds more urgency to the to the to the wild card round to get in. Uh, to that DS round, and then uh, then you get your best teams in there, and then you don't need the urgency because the best you're going up against the best teams in baseball for a year. And I always
1: thought, and I got the argument of one game is really fun, and it's dramatic, and it means everything. And you play 162 for one, yeah. Like at least give me something. Uh, I, I, and look, even three out of five once you get DS is not much for a sport that plays 162. Yeah, but. At least that's a series. It's a sequence where you prove that you're better in that moment or in that week or whatever. But just a one off something, I mean, we play the sport of baseball, and, and if you get too tied up in one particular game, we know you, Braves lost to the A's yep. earlier this year. You know, any anything can happen in a short circumstance. And so, again, that's also justification for the playoffs as a whole because even four out of seven once you get to the CS and the, the World Series is not much. But just one of something, oh, yeah, one. I mean, and I know to some degrees it can happen in all sports. I get it. That's why we do it. But in just baseball, that is a sport of many more random outcomes. And so I'm with you. At least it's something in the way of a series format to where you got to do something more than once. Final minute or two of the show for today,
0: time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end. But we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide.
1: Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks, what do we have? Hey, Ryan. Yes, sir? What day is it? Uh, It's Tuesday.
2: What day is it?
1: It's not hump day.
2: No. What's the date?
1: Uh, Today is October 3rd.
2: Yep. It's Mean Girls Day.
1: Oh. I I didn't get there. It's
2: on 6 o'clock e-network for you, uh, for you Mean Girls (laughs) fans. Good setup. I'm
1: sorry I suck It's
2: okay. Um... It, it's it, it's you know yeah I don't know if you've seen have you seen Mean Girls I have it's been years okay yeah, it's not um, it's well not frequent I'm a little, I'm but, I'm a little yeah. more disappointed than you that I've <laughs> seen all right Mean Girls six o'clock E Network uh, superhero movie pick for the night eight thirty on TNT The Dark Knight Rises the third or third installment of the Christopher Nolan Batman series my favorite one. Actually, I you know a lot of people like uh, yeah. the Dark Knight. I love the Dark Knight Rises. Bane. Me too.
1: That's my prefer. I, Dark Knight's still a ten out of ten. I just absolutely Dark Knight Rises ten point one out of ten or something. Uh, I don't
2: know. And then comedy pick for you this evening again nine o'clock Paramount. It's Anchorman: The Story of Ron Burgundy. Uh, check that out. Your two sports picks for the evening, both the baseball. ESPN 2 at 6 o'clock. The Arizona Diamondbacks take on the Milwaukee Brewers. And at 7 o'clock on ESPN, the one that all the Braves fans are going to be engaged with, the Miami Marlins visit the Philadelphia Phillies. And that is your Nightly TV Guide brought to our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer.
1: Thank you very much for that Brooks, and uh, thank you again for hosting the show yesterday. And I know tomorrow will be out at the High School Coaches show over at the End Zone Bar and Grill. So appreciate all that you do for us, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon.
2: You may not like listening to me to talk, but I'm going to do it anyway.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. We also appreciate Tom Peavy for being here throughout the show uh and as always we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in we also appreciate justin ferguson of the auburn observer for joining us and Ke- kevin McAlpin of the braves radio network for tom PV and brooks childress my name is ryan boy have a great tuesday night and we'll talk to you again tomorrow